Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Tonight, we're talking with Ari. Uh, everybody uh, knows Ari Flagel from uh, previous episodes about Bolins. Uh, we are going to get some insight uh, that very few people have about the uh, Boland's Python uh, because he travels over to Papua New Guinea routinely uh, to do research on these animals. Um, so uh, it's been a while since we talked to him. He has just mm-hmm. come back from a trip not too long ago, um, and we're going to get some updates on that. Um, I guess we'll try to figure out what's going on with his book and maybe try to squeeze some kind of Info out information. when we're yeah. going to see the light of day on that and, uh, you know, get into some Bolton's Pythons talk. But uh, before we do that, um, oh, and I, I'm so happy that you got your Stop trophy. It. Stop <laughs> it. Yes. <laughs> we were, uh, uh, I just want to say thanks to everybody that voted for us uh, because uh, we we won uh, the uh radio show podcast uh, of the year in the reptile report um, for uh, the reader's choice, uh, which is pretty yeah. awesome. So um, thanks to all the listeners. Thanks to all the breeders. Thanks to all the people that have helped the show in any way. Um, I don't know. We'll keep, we'll keep banging them out. Right. Yeah. We'll keep going till one of us is dead. But it's um, definitely um, – it's probably going to be me. But anyway, um, it's definitely awesome to kind of get that because it's the reader's choice. So it's obviously the people who, you know, list, uh, check out the Reptile Report and uh, who took the time to vote that got us the award. So we uh, are ever grateful to that stuff. And clearly you guys like what we're doing here. I have no idea why, you crazy people. But um, uh, so – Thank you again uh, very much, and I will cherish this trophy because this one's mine because Eric got the last one. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully we can do it for a third year because I promised that if we get it three years in a row that I'll give and he can keep it on his desk for whatever reason. I don't know why he wants it, but there you go. So he can't have mine, though. I don't I don't know if you want to do that because that might slowly lead to him and his plot to take over your spot on the show. Oh, but... go ahead. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Replace me with that maniac. Do it. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. Does he have your wit, Owen? Does he have your wit? <laughs> I had to get it from somewhere. I mean, I oh. assume yeah, okay. it might be bad. All right. I mean, no. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> so. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And uh, the um, I, I should mention the Chameleon Breeders podcast. Um, yeah. I know – I don't know if any of you people out there in the listening audience uh, keep chameleons. Um, but uh, it's an interesting podcast. Um, it's uh, – that was uh, voted for by the uh, uh, editor's choice um, as the uh, winner. Um, the – they just did an episode. I think it's three parts, but it's like reptile nutrition. Uh, it talks about minerals in the one show, vitamins in the other. It's just, it's just really interesting. Cool. And, you know, it makes you think outside the box a little bit. 
Um, and when the uh, I'm sorry, I don't know who the guest was, but he had, when he talks about um, uh, talks about it, it's definitely one of those shows you have to listen to a few times because there's a ton of information flying at you. But it's definitely something that you could apply, I think, even if a little bit uh, to the way you keep your reptiles. Uh, it's just a different way of looking at things, but uh, definitely interesting show. You should check it out. Chameleon Breeders podcast. Um, so what else is going on? Anything else? Well, uh, dude, I'm waiting for, uh, eggs. I should have two girls due in the first week of March. So we're just sitting and we're waiting and it's like the worst thing ever. I'm like going out of my mind. Cause it's like every day I pop open the bin, like fully expecting her to be wrapped around eggs or something. And it mm-hmm. doesn't happen. It's like, oh, so, and I know what's going to happen because I do it every year. I'm going to pop open the lid when she actually does lay. And because I've done it so many times, I'm literally going to go like, oh, and I'm going to close the bin and start walking away before I realize what the hell I just saw spin back around <laughs> and rip open the bin again. So it's like, we're, we're gearing up to that. So, um, and I'm also now at that point where I'm talking myself out of if this emails grab it or not. You know, it's like, oh, she clearly she might not be when she's got, you know, scale separation. She's huge from the back end. She hasn't eaten anything in October, since October. It's like, of course, she's not gravid. She's basking belly up for some other reasons. I mean, so, yeah, I just need to get eggs now so I can feel better. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I, I'm not feeling that this year, so. <laughs> More power no, to I, you. I know. You're just, <laughs> you're just like, and, and it's a normal Tuesday. Yeah. It's, yeah. I get you back so, into the breathing swing so you can stress out with me. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the show, I'll, I'll go into a story I have about uh, uh, a rack that I went to pick up <laughs> and, and the uh, shenanigans the that journey. went along with yeah. it. Yeah. It's the stuff we do. Uh, you know, for being reptile keepers is sometimes quite extreme because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I would do this in my normal life. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, I've, I've driven to parts of New Jersey for cages and stuff where I'm like, you know, this the amount of time and gas I've spent going to get this cage, do I really, like, I could have just saved the money and bought one at the next Hamburg show. So, you know, that's, that happened yeah. to me before numerous times. So, so um, okay. Uh, I guess if you don't have anything else, uh, let's bring Ari on here and let's get this going. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Hey, Ari, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. How you been? Hey, hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, congratulations on your nomination again. Thank you. Thank, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're living the dream. <laughs> living it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, cool. So I guess the thing that we uh, probably want to talk about most is your last trip, man. Tell us about it. What, yeah. What was? Uh, oh, okay. Give us yeah. some details. Um, okay. Uh, so uh, I actually came prepared this time, and I wrote some notes, so I didn't miss anything. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, high end, was, you uh, are. Was, yeah, I know, right? Very high end. Um, it was a. Uh, it was a. It was a very good trip. Uh, like I've said before. Uh, you can go in with a mindset and uh, 
most of the time you won't be able to achieve what you really attempted to do <laughs> only on a few occasions, but uh, for the most part, everything uh, works out in the long run. So uh, like I said, it was, uh, it was really good. Uh, this was uh trip 11. Um, so uh, it's starting to rank up there now. Uh, wow. My passport is just completely filled with uh, Indonesia. And uh, they always ask me every time, uh, what am I there for? So I'm like, Oh, I'm a student. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um very good. So yeah, it was um it was uh I had a good opportunity uh to meet with um uh the primary uh hunters and uh, guides that I deal that I've been dealing with for a number of years now and uh we we kind of sat down and uh discussed uh what was happening over the year and um you know kind of the population numbers if they're able to observe anything and and how many nests they're they're finding continuing the nests that we've been watching. Um, and, uh, everything seemed, uh, pretty normal except for a couple things. Uh, the, the prior year there was a, a big nesting area that was in a different ra- uh, range that I had, that had gone to visit and it would, uh, it was actually, um, uh, burned up from the, uh, slash and burn. I think I talked to you guys about it before. So uh, that area, um, was decimated from, you know, uh, from all the animals, which was, it was quite a shame. However, the, the main area that I visit was not affected, which was great since it was in a different area. But um, this, uh, this site had started to, to regrow, which was great, um, hoping that uh, more animals will eventually uh, congregate there and uh, uh, start eventually producing um, like they were before. That's the hope, so we don't know. Um, however, uh, I did see a lot of uh, new development and um, uh, excavation going on uh, as it's been in the last number of years they're finding new uh new things to make money and one of those is building roads um and collecting um i think they're finding there's a couple gold mines that they've they've located so it's only a matter of time so which is a which is a big shame but it's not to be unexpected yeah. uh, right. it's just a matter with how it is um but um like i said that area that was devastated last year is starting to regrow which they told me which is good um they uh, they found um, three nests this year in the same area that I've been visiting um, that produced um, uh, well actually one of the one of the nests had a female on it that was uh, sitting on a clutch of eggs but she was dead which was really interesting mm. so um, really and yeah, yeah it was uh, really really strange I, I would have loved to have been there to see it and uh, getting a, gotten a photograph of it because it would have just been a very interesting photo to have in the situation. Um, I, like my theory in, in the long run is just, you know, all the animals are, are, there's, there's nothing that's able to, to grow and reproduce, you know, down the road. So these animals are old animals that are just, you know, coming to the end of their time, um, mm-hmm. which is sad. Um, my, uh, my friend that was there, the, one of my guides, he actually collected the eggs and tried to incubate him at his house, hoping that he could save the eggs. But, uh, obviously he didn't, you know, uh, have any success yeah. with it, even with the means of the, what he had there. So he had a uh, like full term eight, uh, babies when he opened up the eggs, which he, he sent me photos of, which was kind of heartbreaking, but at least it was, it was a good effort to try. Uh, yeah. and, um, yeah, which is, is pretty interesting. Um, I, I've, I've really tried to, uh, make these people or these, these individuals that I'm working with more aware of what's going on. So it's not just seen as a, a, a lucrative, you know, business, uh, or, or way to, you know, make, make some money for the 
portion of the year that, that I'm trying to explain to them that there's more to it than just that. And, and I think I'm starting to get through them. And they're starting to notice that, that, that this crazy guy keeps coming back and he keeps preaching to us about this. So um, <laughs> I'm hoping, that, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it finally pays off one of these days, but you know, they're, they're letting me see so many things. And it's just like, you know, for, I, I look back from where I was five or six years ago and I'm just like, there's no flipping away. I mean, it's just crazy. And, um, but they were able, uh, two nests did hatch. So, t- uh, 20 babies were collected this year, uh, in one area. Um, but, um, there were animals that were collected by another group of individuals that, uh, I'm not aware of. So there's some new people that are creeping around out there, um, looking for things. And, uh, they, they collected, um, these offspring. Um, so I tracked down, uh, who they were and everything. And I found out where the source came from and, um, so hopefully, hopefully this was just a fluke and, and, and they won't be in that area because they're kind of, you know, crossing into some places that they're not supposed to be, you know, not everybody's welcome in certain spots. So these were locals, but they weren't from that area. So I'm hoping right. it was just a fluke, um, which is a shame, but, um, mm-hmm. and then with that being said, um, uh, there were, uh, I was able to meet with, um, again, with uh, regional CITES director. Uh, this is the third time I've met with him just in conversation with dinner and stuff like that. So he's becoming more and more accustomed to my presence there. And uh, he was putting together finally paperwork for me to kind of have like a, a legal passage, I like to say, through throughout Papa without any kind of uh, legal holdups from, you know, police or anything like that, which would be a normal thing. You'd have to kind of stop and you know, say what you're doing here and this and that. So I don't have to be held up with that and kind of have a, a free pass to go where I need to go without being, you know, harassed or anything as, as the outsider, which and it's, yeah, which in itself is pretty fantastic um, mm-hmm. uh, because it's like, uh, you know, uh, I'm a foreigner, uh, I'm a white guy, you know, and I'm out there stomping around with these locals, you know, looking for these snakes. And, um, you know, that in itself is a red flag for most uh, government officials and, and, uh, and, and other locals too. So, um, which, which is, this is really, you know, great for what I'm trying to do. So that way I can kind of go in and go out with, without causing any issues or anything like, not that I do before, but it's just one less hiccup to deal with. Um, sure. but, um, and I, you know, I, and I talked some more with, uh, my guides about like some of my ideas for the conservation that I'm wanting to do. You know, initially I had set off to, to try to do a population survey and, you know, with this, in, within this last trip, I just realized it's just not, it's just not possible. I mean, it would take lifetimes to be able to do it and um, immense amounts of uh, manpower to do it, um, which would just be too difficult. Um, so, I mean, with that being said, I mean, obviously I'm still visiting my nesting areas to make sure the females are still doing what they're doing. But um, I discussed with them uh, an idea that I had where they're both, they're able to um, make a, a decent income um, off what they're doing normally uh, but now i'm throwing in the wild card where it's uh, my idea is to purchase a, a portion of those babies um, from the nest with the locals and um, and release them there um, instead of them being collected so that way we've got hopes of you know some offspring uh, making it to adulthood and uh, being able to replace those old animals that we saw right. an example of uh, with some younger uh, potential breeders so um, he seemed kind of confused at first. Like he was like, you're going to give me money for the snakes, but you're not going to get the snakes. How's that work? You know? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm like, well, no, it works in the long run because there'll be more snakes for you later and there'll be more snakes for me later. So he was kind of like, Oh, okay, cool. So um, that's the idea. And, and I've talked to a couple, um, 
I've got a couple uh, investors that are uh, really, really interested that, that helped me prior on, on some on some of my project, uh, and they're wanting to get involved uh, again uh, to help me with that. And, and we've also talked about potentially doing some pit tags um, with some of the offspring if I can um, locate some um, some stuff to help out and, and maybe branch that off in a number of years to do some telemetry work, uh, which would be fantastic. Um, so. Um, which so I've got a lot of good ideas that are that are real real possible and real um, that are realistic uh, to uh, to be able to complete. Um, so uh, and then on on top of that is just you know observing everything that I see when I'm out there and, and talking with everybody. And um, I, I ran into somebody when I was buying some supplies at a grocery store uh, or like a little market, and um, the guy lived in uh, the Lay Province in PNG, and he. He knew what the snake was, so I started talking to him, and I was asking him about, you know, what they look like over there, and he told me he's seen white ones and yellow ones, and, I mean, we were doing that whole Jeez. conversation again. So it, yeah. was, it was interesting to, you know, kind of converse back and forth with other people that I wouldn't normally be going out to meet with, um, and it's always interesting there. I mean, uh, if I don't make it up into the, the highlands, uh, there's always something that is contributing to my research and um, – helping out uh, with you guys and everybody in the community um, in some way positive. Um, but um, yeah, so it, it was, it was, it was good. Um, uh, it was, it was good to get back and they think I'm crazy still that I keep coming out doing the same thing. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. So, you know, I, I figure uh, it could be a lot worse. <laughs> But, um, They're wondering, yeah, do you just, have a uh, death wish or? <laughs> yeah, know? no, right. It's like, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. like, and it, the only scary thing is other people start recognizing me when I come out too. So it's like, you know, I, I, I'm starting to feel like kind of a little, a little celebrity when I walk out there. I'm like, oh, here's that crazy white guy that comes out again, comes to visit us <laughs> a couple times a year. So I always have to have right. my hoodie over my head so nobody sees me, and I run off and to meet my friend and hop on the back of his moped and we take off. <laughs> but uh, nice. it's um, yeah, so. Uh, but uh, it, like I said, it's um, I've got some um, good ideas for the future that I think are really um, possible uh, to, to achieve as opposed to something that, you know, I would love to be able to do this population thing, but it's just not uh, possible at this point, I think, um, with, uh, with the direction that things are going on out there. And like I said, it would, it would take lifetimes to be able to do an accurate um, – population uh, survey of what's out there um we did however add two more uh, gps points to um the nesting area so we have a total okay. of uh 15 uh, gps points from west pop uh, west papua um which uh is, is was prior uh to two years ago was unheard of we just had reports of areas um including from um o'shea's um papua new guinea book um and uh so i mean everything was pretty much just from png and uh, virtually nothing from West Papua. So I, I sent them actually over a bunch of um, locality information to help out with this new manuscript that's coming out. Oh, hopefully that'll be in there, So, um, which will be nice. So, um, But it's good. I mean, there's, there are areas that are hopefully protecting these snakes, um, and I always like to think that there's a huge Bones Python party uh, two mountains over from where I'm at. And I'm just seeing like the, I'm just seeing the rejects, and that's what uh, I get to visit with. But everything else is really going on out there, so that's how I look at it, I guess. Wow, it'd be nice. If it was yeah, like, if you get in the middle of that, yeah. So one day, wow. one day, I'll get I'll get a I'll get somebody to buy me uh, one of those uh, uh, portable gliders, and I'll just glide from mountain to mountain. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did Ari die? Well, 
Yeah, oh, I know, right? <laughs> glide from one mountain to another. In a blaze so, yeah. of glory. Yeah. You just need to get you one of those bat suits. You know what I mean? That's all Yeah, you there you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Glide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Bat, awesome. bat suit all the way. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so I thought, I thought that maybe we'd hit on as we go through questions and such, but mm-hmm. I thought that um, Casey's question that he posted up the other day was quite interesting and maybe you could hit on a little more uh, in depth, uh, okay. you know, speaking about it. But I think you, re- I don't know if you remember the one I'm talking about, but um, he was asking if um, uh, that the females, well, Bolins, are they found on a specific side of the mountain? I think it had something to do oh, with yeah, he was, was climbing up in the Appalachians. Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, was an awesome question, and um, it hasn't been brought up yet, uh, which was really interesting. And, and like I said, I I try to answer as many questions as I can on there, uh, going mm-hmm. through each day. And um, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, I, I love people just posting photos and stuff like that, and and everything. But every once in a while, there'll be some really great questions that come through there, and that's what makes me really happy that the the group is being u- utilized for what I wanted, you know, with with stuff like that, not just from my wild observations, but for captivity stuff like with Frederick and Keith and, you know, all these other guys um, that, that are doing some incredible stuff right now with their, with their animals. But um, so my uh, answer to that is um, I don't have like the definitive answer. I, all I can say is the observations that I've made from animals um, being observed in the daytime is uh, the nest sites uh, typically are facing an area where there is a, open patch of uh, sunlight that comes through at certain portions of the day. And typically it's um, late morning to early afternoon uh, and it's several hours and then it dissipates and it's cloud cover and then the animals are gone. And they're typically always out at that amount of time. And I think it's like, I mean, it's crazy. It's like 10 AM to like 11 or something like that. And I usually can, that's usually when they're out. Um, but uh, they're typically always facing uh, access uh, where the where the sun's coming through, um, like I said, on those those little clearings, and and I would speculate that's because the environment's so cool, like we've discussed before, that you know being black they absorb the the, the heat very quickly, so any mm-hmm. uh, you know any extra you know extra uh, temperature temperature source um, will be utilized you know as efficiently as possible, so they're going to warm themselves up super fast, so uh, they're obviously going to choose an area that's closer to that. Um, light source and also for those nest areas too uh you know they they're not being completely exposed to the to the sun but they're also but they're obviously warming them warming it up perfectly to maintain those you know temperatures internally and and help cook eggs and and do everything in there so it was um kind of like a a yes a yes and no answer um and uh i think you said it was the appalachians or something like that i'm not familiar because i've never been but um, I can relate mm-hmm. it to uh, like yes, uh, I would say it'd be uh, very similar um, to that. And all the animals I've seen have have either been in nests that are facing that kind of a direction, or they're out basking early in the morning, um, uh, taking advantage of that. So, but it was it was a great question. I really uh, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes you kind of think. Like, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how. Actually, I'm not really sure how most people keep at this point when it comes to like their UV cycles and the light cycles and mm-hmm. heat cycles. But, right. you know, I think one of the things he mentioned on there was, you know, how it's the sun is still out, but it's a lot cooler and you're not really getting that full effect. So maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Long- yeah I mean, it's interesting you say that. I mean, the, the sun might not be out. However, the UV or the ultraviolet exposure is still cranking. 
And, right. um, I mean, being high at that elevation, you're obviously going to be exposed to it uh, with a lot more intensity than you would with the lower elevation as, as with anybody would consider it. But, um, so, you know, obviously you're going to have that uh, ambient warmth as opposed to a direct uh, heating source uh, where the sun would be coming through. So it's, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible place. And I always, um, I don't look at it like I used to before. I mean, I, I still am enamored by how it is every time I go, but when I come back, I'm always like, man, that was just absolutely bizarre. It's like, I'm so, I'm still in shock of an animal like this being able to inhabit an area so specific with such a, a specific niche uh, to be able to to inhabit something like this because it's wet, you know, it's cold, you know, it's a big animal. I've never seen I've never seen one eating anything. God only knows if there's any food there for meat. I mean, it's like <laughs> right. I've right. never seen anything else except for the snake and eggs, and that's it. So I mean, uh, it's just an incredible place, um, and I never get tired of saying that because it is. Um, but the life cycles and everything, I know there's. I know there's uh, some keepers that are experimenting with a lot of the UV right now, which is awesome. I'm super excited to hear about that because I keep I, I utilize that with animals I have and animals at the zoo, and I've always kind of preached with that um, just from what I've observed. And then also uh, during certain times of the year, you know, fluctuating uh, the uh, day and night cycles also. Um, I don't know how effective it is. Um, we have to ask the master, uh, Frederick, on that because if he uh, – if he utilized that as much uh, with his green regiment. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. But um, I know uh, Keith, I believe, is uh, doing some pretty incredible stuff right now, too, with his adult animals. And uh, I yes. believe he is um, doing some uh, light cycling uh, as well. Uh, I mean, he's, I mean, the one great thing about this forum that I put together, or this group, rather, is, like, we're meeting all these incredible people that are coming together and just sharing so much information, and it is absolutely insane and it's wonderful because we're having these incredible conversations and just really bouncing things off one another which um is what i wanted to begin with uh when i put this thing out so um i really think there's going to be some more successes this year um i'm hoping i'm hoping keith cranks out two clutches of eggs even though he won't admit it i I really think he can do it (laughs) Okay. Yeah, um, awesome. I'm getting I'm getting tired of seeing Frederick posting pictures of his snakes breeding and his eggs. He needs to stop. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and there's some other people too. I know there was a, a a recent success in Europe too that just happened, which was really exciting. Um, and uh, I, I got in touch with the people. I don't know if I'm allowed to discuss more of it, but uh, uh there was a, a situation with some adult animals in Europe that uh were not produced by Frederick. Surprise. And right. um, they uh, they uh, they hatched eggs and everything, and it was really really interesting situation. And, and uh, once I get the okay from the individuals, I'm going to post it all up on the on the site so everybody can see exactly what happened and what they did. And um, but uh, it's got some interesting similarities, uh, kind of picking out and been bouncing that information off of Frederick and Keith for a little bit. Um, and uh, so I think we're I think we're at a really good place. Uh, compared to where we were five years ago, I mean, we're like taking leaps. I mean, it's it's awesome. I, I really think that we're going to start making some uh, fantastic headway with the species in captivity, um, where we're going to start seeing some more regularities, or um, it won't be as scarce of a situation for captive reproduction mm-hmm. um, in the U.S. Anyways, that's awesome. Uh, you have a question, Alan? Oh. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, my, the only question I had, well, first off, it's freaking awesome that there was, <laughs> that there's the potential of captive breeding that we're clearly 
clearly all the work is starting to pay off with the guys that are really putting in the time. But the yeah. one question I had was, was Ari, um, when do you yeah. go out looking for these things again? Because, like, we were yeah. talking about UV and potential, because I know always the rule is snake hunting, do it at night with a headlamp. But oh yeah, maybe you go out there in the I've day, never, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay, so when I'm out, um, I mm. leave early, early morning. It's still dark to get to the base of the mountain, one of the villages that's at the, bo- at the bottom where my friend lives, and then we hike up. So we're hiking in the early, early morning. It's still dark. I mean, it's you know, mm-hmm. st- still, you know, still dark outside. And we we hike up there. So we get up there when the animals are out basking. I've never okay. gone. Um, I take that back. We've been out at night one time, and it was absolutely the most terrifying thing in the world. And I would never <laughs> wish anybody. Um, and so, with that being said, <laughs> I think the. Um, I mean, I've always found them in the daytime when they're out basking waking up first thing in the morning or they're finishing up their um their warming up cycle or whatever and they're getting ready to take off and go back in their burrows okay that's cool yeah i don't know what they do most of the time at night um i've never the animal we saw at night was on eggs but i don't know i mean like to be able to observe animals cruising around in that environment, it would be uh, incredible. Um, very, very dangerous, I would say, just because of the environment itself. I mean, unless you're local, um, right? I mean, they they walk they walk there barefoot, you know, with no lights, and oh. this is what they oh, do. Geez. But um, <laughs> and I've never, uh, I've never, I'm, I'm always. I'm always inclined to go look for the nest, you know, to find out what's it looking like this year. Um, and Frederick's always busting my chops saying, Oh man, you got to see if you can find a male out there. Cause I've never found a male. Um, I've, I've always, I've always looked for, I've always looked for the female with the eggs and looked for the nest. I want to know how many eggs, how many nests, what, what the season's going to be like, as opposed to the male. I don't know if the males are hanging around that area. I mean, we've talked about that before. It's just one of those things that eventually I, I will come across a male, um, I, I found I had a uh, I visited a, a, a supplier while I was out there, and um, she had a she had a, a Bolins uh, with her, and I, I asked to see it, and uh, it was a it was a probably a four year old animal, so it was right around five feet six feet, you know, and uh, and mm-hmm. it was a male, which was pretty cool because um, they, yeah. they do exist, you know, so. Um, <laughs> But uh, the uh, you know I told her I was like man why are you taking these animals if you're going to do anything I mean as 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 much as I hate saying it take the babies leave the adults so they can produce but um, you right. know so um, but I don't know what happened to it obviously she probably released it back I'm hoping she did I, I, that's what I like to think anyways but so um, I don't know the routine with the males what they do um, if they congregate I mean we could talk for hours and hours about that and uh, with that being said I, I've you know, last year in, in Tinley for the October show, mm-hmm. which is the show of all shows, um, I uh, initially set out with the Bolins group um, uh, on the Facebook page to do a, a roundtable discussion um, where we organize um, possibly an event, uh, but mainly for the people that were interested in, in, in coming together and, and sitting down and really discussing what's going on with them in captivity where we're at comfortably, what we can say we're comfortably doing that we feel is, is, is on the right track. And, um, 
and discuss, you know, uh, future ideas, come up with a, a solid regiment for captive, you know, captive care and husbandry, um, and potentially start putting together some kind of reproductive regimen as well. Almost kind of like mm-hmm. how the zoos have, you know, stud book work and everything like that, and try to de- develop something that can be a, a go-to for keepers that are not familiar with certain things, uh, or people that are just interested in them really kind of bounce a lot of different ideas off one another or whoever would like to attend and then open it up for, you know, a short um, thing for, uh, you know, the public or anybody that would be interested in hearing about it or, or is not even, doesn't even know what a bold Python is, but get that, get that positive interest and um, those, you know, creative juices flowing to, cause that's, that's how we're moving forward. It's not just by me going out there and, and seeing this stuff. It's by, me bouncing information off you and me bounce, you know, you bouncing it off this guy yeah. and that, and then we all come together uh, as a group and a community to, to figure out what we need to do and where we need to be to ensure these animals are not just, you know, protected, but they're also, you know, surviving in captivity as opposed to, you know, we can get them to an adult size and then, you know, that's, that's it. <laughs> you know, it's not going right. to go any further than <laughs> right. that. So, um, so I, I was discussing with uh, with Keith uh, and Frederick. Frederick will be out in October, uh, as well as Casper um, and Keith and Evan and uh, Chad and, and uh, a lot of the, the guys that are on that group that are um, really actively involved. Uh, and we're going to try to see if we can start this as a, a yearly event where we can kind of um, start working on uh, some positive work um, stateside on with what's going on. Hell, let's record this and throw it into the NPR episode, and then I don't have to work for a week. But, <laughs> there you go, um, right? Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Uh, but it'll but, probably just uh, end up me getting drunk and just kind of blabbing about New Guinea for even four hours. <laughs> yeah, that's right? even better. That's even yeah. be- that would be the best show of the year. But um, Yeah, I mean, I've got stories that I haven't even – I mean, I can't tell on the radio. I've got so many stories. Like, oh, <laughs> <damn>. Great. <laughs> We have to keep some things for the book, but um. Well, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, you got to bring up the book too. I heard that. Okay. No, so. no, we're not gonna get there yet. Not yet. Not okay, yet. Okay, we're gonna, okay. Don't worry. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna okay. we're gonna interrogate you later about that. Don't you worry. Uh, we'll was, get there. Yeah, I was I was waiting for it. I feel like it's appropriate, so let me have it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. But actually, Casey just sent a uh, question over on the okay uh, Facebook chat, and uh, uh, he wants to know if you know how. Uh, large wild males actually are or get, and are they a lot smaller than maybe the females that you have seen out there? Okay, so that's that's a, a great question. I don't have yep. the answer. Um, uh, like I said <laughs> before, um, I've I've never come across a wild male. Right. I've always come across females. Um, so everything that I'm basing information from is from captivity, and that itself is not an accurate depiction of being accurate at all because. Somebody right. could maintain them differently, and there's a lot of a lot of debate still with feeding regimens, uh, like the frequency, prey size, prey itself. If that's a factor, not just for long term of the animal's health, but if for a factor for reproduction. So, I would like to say that I would speculate adult animals to be anywhere from seven to nine feet. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a big animal, or yeah. five to seven feet. I, I don't really know. Um, I've seen some really big females that were easily nine feet. Uh, and I saw that one monster that one time when I saw those eggs that first time and she was gigantic, but, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if females are larger males or not. I I couldn't really say that. I've not seen a male. Uh, and certainly I would have to see, um, 
a few of them to be able to say, okay, this seems like it's a, it's a pretty good uh, baseline. So I hope, I hope that answers the question. Um, but uh, I, I don't feel comfortable enough saying this is, you know, this is the answer. I mean, hopefully we'll get to that point where we can have an idea. I mean, I've seen animals that were all over the, all over the range on size. Um, but um, in the wild, they seem to be, it, it's a, it's a totally different game over there um, with it. So, and hopefully I'll be able to figure it out. Ari, do they do they yep. move up and down on the mountain at all, or do they just stay pretty much stationed in the in the higher elevations? They seem pretty stationed um, for the for well, I mean, okay, so they pretty much stay stationary at a certain range. You find these you find Boland's pythons around sixty five hundred eighty five hundred feet in that range. Now. Um, they're taking advantage. Like I've said before, I've never found one on a rock face. I've never found one in a, in a, a limestone hole or anything like that. That we prior speculated. I've always found the females. Um, I found them in these TP structured uh, veg, vegetation nests or these mounds that these they're, they're taking over these, you know, couscous burrows typically. And mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're seeking out these areas that are like prime nesting area. And a lot of them are staying in the same spots every year. And I mean, that's a, I mean, I've talked about that before. I mean, it's a crazy, it's a crazy uh, statement to make, but I mean, we're finding eggs in the old nest sites. We're finding females that are coming back that, that we remember. Um, I mean, we found a dead snake in this one spot that had old stuff in it too. I mean, we're finding, uh, we found a skeleton last or last year, the year before, we found a skeleton in, in the same area that all these other snakes were at. So it's like, I mean, uh, I, they're seeking out these prime nesting areas and these prime areas that are going to be supplying everything and anything that they possibly need. And the only thing I haven't found is food yet in the area that they need. <laughs> so um, I know it's there because I see the locals wearing the, the lorry bird feathers. I see the locals wearing couscous pelt. So I know the food's there. I just don't know where it's at in the abundance of it. I don't know either. I don't know uh, – I was talking to Keith about this uh, last week um, about the frequency. And I've also talked to Frederick about this too, like the frequency of how often they're feeding in the wild as opposed to captivity. Now in the wild, Mm -hmm. I mean, as with most things, they're going to be opportunistic. So um, in, but with their behavior as it is where it's like, you know, they come out, they bass for a couple hours and they're gone in that amount of time. Do they go out and look for food at night or, you know, do they wait for something to cruise by or, I mean, is it once a month, every two months, you know, and these prey items that they're eating, it's a decent sized prey item for an animal like that. So at what point do they start choking down these, you know, small sized chihuahua rodents, you know, or mammals yeah. right? and, um, and, you know, leave feeding off of birds or do they do vice versa or, or what, or how it works. So, um, that's one of the questions that, that I'm really, really wanting to find out. And uh, a, a trip prior, I had spent some time down in the market hoping to find other food sources, and I found more couscous down there, and I found some rodents that I saw were, I'm, sh- I'm sure were, were food sources out there. I mean, rats are everywhere no matter where you go. So um, I'm sure they're feeding off of small, like, deer mice and things similar to that, um, mm-hmm. not that particular species. But um, so – the food sources are there. I just, I need to find it and find out how, what, you know, like the frequency of how they're eating or, or get an idea of, of, of when it comes through, if it's a migratory thing or seasonal, whatever for reproduction with the, the mammals or the birds and stuff like that. So, I mean, like I said, there's, there's 
so many questions that still need to be answered. It's, it's crazy. It's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, what hap- What? Where are the couscous going that are in those nests? Are they just, you know, they're just oh, moving they're going on or bellies? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, so the snakes no, coming no. in. Yeah, they, I mean, okay. Yeah, they, I mean, kill they everybody those... and then take over the house. Yeah. All right. Cool. There's, that a, works. there's these ground like these bandicoots. So it's like another large road, and then the couscous hang out over there too. And, and a lot of the couscous live up in the trees, and then some some of the ground uh, mammals are on the bottom. They take over these burrows, but the uh, couscous and the bandicoot and and these lorry birds seem to be the majority of the of the diet out there. Um, but like I said, the, the frequency of, of how often they feed them, I couldn't tell you. Um, I have no idea. So, And I haven't had the pleasure of eating a couscous yet or a lorry bird yet that I've known. <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that I know of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Um, the other thing, I don't know if I've asked you this on previous shows, but I know it's cool. come up maybe on the groups or whatever, but you know how the, the – the female sort of tucks her head into her coils when she's yeah is have you noticed that on any of the females that you've seen in the wild so yeah so that's a real interesting thing and a lot of keepers have been noticing that within the last couple of years like that is a really a really positive sign towards you know an animal being gravid or becoming close to you know depositing eggs um i've never seen okay now now, when we compare it to captivity in the wild, it's it's going to be different, obviously, because you've got different factors right. in, incorporated with it. When I've seen, when I've observed females on eggs in the wild, they're tucked into a into a burrow in a ball, so I can't really see if the head is necessarily tucked in. Um, mm-hmm. Every time I've observed it, it's kind of laying over. So, but that could be just the fact that the disturbance of something a big hairy white arm reaching down into the tunnel where the eggs are, you know, <laughs> right. and they're wanting to know, they're wanting to know what it is. So as opposed to a less, you know, um, brain farted right there, like a, a less, a, you know, a, you know, obtrusive uh, interaction where you're observing an animal um, in an enclosure that's in your home and you're able to see it in the, the shape that it's in or whatever. Um, right. that I don't know. I've, I've never gotten to see an actual, like, wow, it's head tucked in there. I've seen that body, that body posture, but just not the head. Um, and I don't okay. know, like I said, I, I would, I would associate, I, if I were to say, I'd say probably yes. Um, but I've never seen it because I've always disturbed the nest by opening up the chamber. So obviously the snake's going to be in tune on what's going on. So it's going to be moving its, its normal resting position. So. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, um, wait, so even though you disturb, you disturb the nest, Ari, and yeah. you don't get, like, first thing you see is not teeth and face coming right at you? Like, I mean, no, not... yeah, okay. So, yeah, so that's crazy, isn't it? So, like, the first nest I ever came to, I saw, I saw coil in the, bo- in the uh-huh. bottom of the nest. And I remember, I think I remember talking to you guys about this before. One of the things I, I saw, I saw, I saw body wrapped up, and then I, you know, moved my hand and all the way down because I didn't see a face meeting me right at the opening of the hole, and that's when I saw the the white streak, and that was the the egg. So, right. Um. I uh, and I immediately expected to be railed in the face or in the <laughs> arm as a as opposed to any 
you know, snake defending its clutch of eggs or just yeah. not wanting to be messed with and that kind of a vulnerable, you know, you know, time. And um, mm-hmm. I, with, with that in mind, I just went ahead and stuck my arm down in there and didn't look so that way I get railed and not know it when it was coming. So it would, I guess it would not to hurt as bad. I guess that's the way to look at it, but that's not <laughs> the case. But right. Um, so, and I never had any kind of aggression whatsoever. The, the, the only aggressive Bolans I've ever interacted with, and I have to define the meaning aggressive in, in this statement as actively like trying to bite is based on captive behavior and it's food oriented. It's never been um, an animal. I've never interacted with an animal in the wild that has ever tried to bite me, ever tried to posture at me, ever tried to – well, actually, I take that back. I had one animal that was posturing when I was photographing it because it was clearly just really ticked off. But mm-hmm. that was not a defensive thing. I've never had any aggressive behavior whatsoever. And I mean – and I think a lot of it is associated – these animals are – they're the top predator there once they reach a certain size. There's not much out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're not coming into contact with, with us as frequently as they would in captivity. And, and when they associate it with a captive setting, it's usually based off of a food source. So it's like, okay, they're going to come by the cage. That means I'm probably going to get fed. So I'm going to be like amped up. I'm ready to eat. But in the wild, they're just very, very placid, uh, just, just real shy. That's, that's probably the easiest way. They're just real shy. And, and even when I took that female off the eggs to get a measurement on her and the eggs, she didn't try to bite me at all. I mean, she was just very, very in tune on what I was doing, but she was, there was no point at all that I felt like I was going to get bitten. Um, and uh, it, it just blows my mind. I mean, even, I've, I've, you know, come across like Chondro and it's like, wham, you know, they just, they don't, it's like, leave me alone. <laughs> right. You know, I've never had, I've never found a, I've never found a scrub before. I've always looked and I would anticipate that was just going to be a face full of teeth because I mean, mm-hmm, everything right. I've ever associated with, but with the Bolans, I've never, ever had a situation where one of them has been aggressive or tried to bite at all. It's always been a captive situation. I've, o- I've only been bitten by a Bolans in captivity. That's it. And it's been a food um, uh, related situation. Huh. I, uh, I was, uh, I guess I'm curious about, um, I don't even know how to phrase this question right, but like, Hmm. I think when, um, whenever I listen to stuff and I hear, I I was listening to Joe Rogan and he was talking about how, um, they move, uh, when they work out, you get better workouts if you're moving up and down in altitude Right. If you okay, work out, yeah. I can't remember which way it was. If you work out when you're in high altitude and you come down, then you're like your body processes better or something like that. And and has I know that, that we've talked about and there's been probably talked about to death about the altitude and the breeding. But is there yeah. is there any more thoughts on, uh, you know, the altitude and how it affects them uh, and their breeding? Well, I know I know that's a question that's been brought up a number of times and i mean because obviously when uh, with any kind of animal you try to replicate the natural environment for any kind of reproduction or, or you try to cue in on certain things and you know temperature elevation you know rain you know humidity yada yada but mm-hmm. with just from what i've seen so far with uh-huh. Fred, uh with frederick's success uh the other individual in europe's success um and some other individuals that have, have been that have produced them. I, I really don't think the elevation is a factor. Um, okay. 
I think they and, – and, and, and let me back up too. A lot of it is um, nobody has bred – or no, I take that back. No. Nobody has bred imported animals. Everything that has been bred have been young animals that have been raised and acclimated to captivity. So okay. with that being said, if you were to try to reproduce wild imported animals, that would potentially have a factor. I don't know if you could even keep them, you know, to, to even do that. I mean, historically is just a nightmare with, with adults right. um, coming in. Um, however, the young animals, the babies that, uh, that have been acclimated into captivity do fantastic. And they're acclimating and accustomed, getting accustomed to captive regiments that that we're providing. And and I think the I mean obviously they're acclimating at, you know six seven years in captivity before they're um, able to reproduce or or showing any interest rather. So in that amount of time, I don't think it's really a necessary um, factor to, to consider. I mean obviously you know higher elevations you know if they're from it yeah, but if they're being raised without it and they're still having success, I don't really think that's a huge, huge factor um, as to the success that's been going on. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what Keith uh, turns up this year um, right. with his animals. I mean, because, uh, I mean, it would be a, a really uh, a fantastic situation. I know he's been working really, really hard with his animals, mm-hmm. and he's cued into a lot of things that a lot of people aren't uh, noticing. Um, and... Um, and then with Frederick again, I, I'm sure Frederick will do it again this year too. And then uh, there's another individual in Europe also that uh, that I think will possibly do it too. And and then I have a feeling we'll see a couple people that are kind of like um, the the quiet names uh, pop up in the U.S. Maybe that'll produce again uh, or produce. Right. Um, uh, so with that being said, I, I really don't think it's a huge factor. I think uh, there's other things involved with it, um, and we still don't really know them all. But uh, I think. Uh, I don't think it's as big a factor as we would speculate. So do you equate the success that, well, I should say the rise of success uh, with breeding the species with just them settling into captivity? Or do you think that, you know, there's a specific quote unquote formula, so to speak, that are people are now. I, I think, um, I think the uh, acclimating to captivity is a huge factor. Um, I think right. that is probably, I think it's probably 90% of some of the success is being able to be acclimated to a consistent routine that is followed routinely every year. Um, and then the, you know, the factor that's thrown in the equation to signal the female to ovulate, to show the male that it's time to breed. And that's just a small little piece. Um, that, that's causing them to go uh, all the way. But I, I think acclimating them to a, a solid routine is a huge, uh, a huge factor of it. And, and historically, a lot of it was up until those last five or six years, people were getting these big animals. And, I, and I'm pretty sure you guys will remember when I talk about this, they get these animals and, you know, mm-hmm. they pay like, you know, 15 grand for these snakes. And they're like, I'm going to be the first one to breed them, yada, yada, do that whole routine. And they try the first year trying to breed them like a regular python, and nothing happens. And then they sell the male, yes. and then they sell the female, and <laughs> yes. they go to Joe Schmo, and they go over here. And then they've got them in a ball python rack, and uh, then they've got them in a, a vision cage, and then they've got them outside. And it's, these, these animals don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, so I think maintaining these animals consistently in a solid routine every year until they reach that point where reproduction is, a, is a, you know, presenting itself – 
is a huge factor. I think that's 90% of what's going on that needs to be. Yeah, so, I call that resetting the clock. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they, and unfortunately, Bowling's Pythons, their clock keeps getting reset over and over because, you know, people right. people get discouraged because obviously they put a lot of, uh, you know, finance into the to this project and they're not able to recoup that, which unfortunately a Bowling's Python is not, it's not going to be a monetary project. This is a, this is an animal that's very different from most reptiles or most snakes, in my opinion, in captivity. You're not going to be a millionaire off breeding Bowling's Pythons. This is going to be an achievement in itself to work with just an incredible species. And, it, and with being, saying that, being able to cue in on these different factors that are not present in a lot of different or in a lot of uh, rather uh, other snake reproductive uh, cycles is, is just uh, just a, an achievement right there. So, you know, and a lot of people are like, well, how am I supposed to, you know, well, I didn't do it this year, so I guess I'm going to sell them and get what I can get out of it. And then that resets the clock, you know, and then it's like, where are they going to go now? And then the clock resets again, and, you right. know, and then one of them dies, and then it's like, oh, I'm left with yeah. this mail. What do I do with it? You know? right. <laughs> right. So, but would you, would you recommend even keeping them? Outside, because obviously the the if you live in a state that you could potentially keep these pythons outside, mm-hmm. you think that would help or hurt trying to get them to breed? I don't know. Well, well, um, Quetzal down in Costa Rica, who's a good friend of mine, and he's yeah. actively involved on the group and everything, and talks us all. He produced animals early this year, and he did a half indoor, half outdoor enclosure setup. Um, and his animals, like I said, were half inside, half out. Uh, they were able to choose in a lot of different scenarios with it. Um, the uh, reproduction in Europe uh, was in a, um outdoor enclosure as well. So I, I don't think um, saying indoor and outdoor is one way better than the others because look at Frederick. He keeps, you know, re- reproducing year after year with his animals. I think last year was the, the first time he didn't produce, and it was because, you know, he's, you know, he was, he was uh, relocating to a new home. So it's like he wasn't able to do 100% towards a snake. So um, which I'm sure he would have bred him again too. Um, but, yeah. uh, it's, um, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, so I, I, like I said, I think acclimating them to a certain regiment is going to be the factor. If they're going to be outdoors, they're going to be outdoors. If they're going to be indoors, they're going to be indoors. Um, and, uh, the babies do fantastic in captivity cause they're being, you know, set up into a, a, a routine, you know, and, uh, and hopefully the routine is, uh, adequate for what they're requiring, you know? So real quick, Owen, before you hit on that question, I just want to hit on that because we have a lot of new listeners and I'm just, what do you recommend as far as your, you know, you get these babies in, what do you recommend as your basic setup to to start them and try to get them established? So like what I recommend is, what I recommend is uh, it's very tempting uh, to go ahead and jump into Bowen's pythons. And I'm not discouraging anybody to do it because they're one of the most incredible snakes if you have the opportunity to work with that you will. With that being said, um, I recommend people to do as much research about them as possible. Talk to people that are willing to talk to them about keeping them that have them. You know, simplicity, in my opinion, is the easiest method with them. Um, you don't have to do these incredibly elaborate enclosures because not only does it potentially cause more issues in the long run, like you know, uh, injuries or trying to keep up and make the plants look nice and yada, yada, this and that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it becomes more of an issue. Um, I maintain them in, you know, um, uh, in the mid seventies, uh, low eighties, you know, uh, moderate basking lights, um, uh, 
moderate humidity to high humidity at certain parts of the year, certain times of the day. You know, uh, they're, they're very, the babies are very, very easy to maintain if they're maintained correctly. And that's the easiest way I can say it. Um, one of the things that I'm wanting to do with this um, Bones Roundtable meeting with, with all these people is to address and come up with a practical, um, I hate to use the word care guide, but practical guidelines for captive husbandry for the animals. Mm-hmm. So that way everybody is interjecting with what's worked and what's not and the factors involved as far as why it doesn't work and why it does. So we can put something out there that everybody will be on the same page with that'll help keep these animals so they won't run into issues with skin issues, respiratory um, injuries, uh, stuff like that. Um, and, and that's just one of the, one of the projects that I really am trying to push for this, this year, uh, as well as that um, uh, introductory, the reintroductory stuff with the, with the babies in the wild. So um, with that being said, uh, like I said, just, just reach out to somebody that is willing to talk to you that, that is working with these animals that is doing something positive with them that it wants to talk to you about it instead of just jumping into it and buying them for buying them until you realize what they are. Awesome. Yeah. Does that answer it? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I, I dude, they're, they're a Python. I won't even, um, uh, they, they bullens themselves kind of scare me just because of the amount of money and also the rarity yeah. of them. Well, but, yeah, and that, and you know, historically that has been a huge factor. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, it's like buying a Ferrari. You know, everybody wants a Ferrari, <laughs> but man, are you really gonna freaking cram that pedal down and just gun it? And hell no. I mean, well, yeah, I, no, maybe <laughs> Evan might, but uh, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, right? But um, it's it's one of those things. You know, with the price, it commands respect for what it is. Yeah. But with that being said, you don't need to be afraid of them because they're very easy to keep. You just have to be aware of how to properly keep them. There's nothing ridiculously fancy or ridiculous requirements involved in maintaining them. There just has to be consistency in the right guidelines. And that's what we're starting to really, really key in on now. Makes sense. I mean, uh, I'm probably still not going to take the plunge. I'll leave it to you guys. And I'll just admire them from far, far away, where I can't hurt them. <laughs> so um, <laughs> they're very, the very hardy for what they are. I mean, they're they're very hardy for what they are. I mean, it's just you know, there, there's as with anything, like you said, you, you just have to you know provide what you need to provide. And it, like I said, there's nothing ridiculously crazy for for uh, to maintain them. It's not like trying to keep Draco lizards, man. That's a nightmare. You know. Oh, okay. yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, but it's um it kind of goes to their hardiness is that I know uh, a local guy around here that actually uses a Bolin's Python in educational programs. So, yeah. yeah, And apparently it's been doing fine and he carts that thing out to schools and stuff and it hasn't really kind of died. So um, I guess it's kind of all right. I mean, I've got my own, I've got my own opinions on that, but um, yeah, yeah, uh, me too. I mean, it's it's fantastic to be able to show it to people because, I mean, nine out of ten times, nobody's going to know what, what it is. Um, right. They, they feel feel incredible. They're breathtaking to look at. They come from an incredible part of the world. It's great. However, you know, with that being said, you know, as with anything, uh, you know, I I don't know. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't personally do it, but um, that's mm. just me. Um, I know some people would say he's crazy, but 
Like I said, it's just me. Um, and so it works for him. It works for him. And, and hopefully, hopefully he's putting out uh, the correct and positive information to, to represent the species and to, to do them justice for what they are. So that way, you know, it's worth bringing that animal out to teach people how incredible they are. Uh, that's probably right. the only thing I would probably add to it. Yeah, that's uh, I, I've not witnessed his show, but uh, I would hope yeah. the same thing. But yeah. um, we do have another question from Casey. Uh, okay. He he wants to know, uh, do you think that they migrate at breeding age? Um, that's a, he says that according to him, he says a lot of the random success that have happened with the snakes that have bred have been from people who have moved or have, you know, moved the animals themselves and they had mm-hmm. success. Uh, he didn't know if that was. Yeah. And, and I know there. the, um, I know the situ- I know the uh, situations that he's referencing too, um, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, and I, I, you know that was an interesting thing. I remember there was uh, I know one for sure. Um, there might have been another one also in the same situation, and it could have been. Um, I don't know how it would relate really in the wild because they're they're very routine on what they do. That's the thing, right? Um, and, and that's one of the things I've noticed. They're very. They're kind of lazy. They're very uh, subtle with what they do. They're very specific. You know, this is where I am. This is what I do. This is where I go. Um, and it could have been with those prior instances with the animals, you know, being uh, relocated to a different facility from, you know, facility A to facility B. Um, that could have been something in the situation, uh, a change in pressure, a change in humidity, uh, just, you know, a fluke, something you know, they could have washed the snake bags in uh, some kind of different uh, smell. Who knows? But it was uh, right. something in itself enough to, to trigger something. And it might not have been anything uh, in the long run either. Um, so we don't really know. Uh, but I don't know. Um, it was an interesting situation, obviously. Um, uh, I always joked around uh, years ago about saying, oh, I know how to breed bones. you got to drive around with them in your car first. And then you, uh, hmm. then you bring them back and you put them in the, put them in the cage and they'll breed. But um, – I don't know. Um, I don't know how it would work or how it would relate uh, necessarily in the wild, where that kind of a, a stimuli change um, would cause a, a success. So I, I hope I answered it the best I could, uh, or give the best answer. I just don't really know. I, I'm, like I said, I'm aware of the situation of the situations when it took place, but don't really know how it would really affect in the wild like that. Hmm. That, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. I mean, I, I, we know we talked about them moving around a lot, but would it really be called yeah. a migration? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, I know, like I said, I, I mean, I know those those girls are always hanging out in that spot. Um, if right. anything, I, I, if anything, those males are seeking those females out, and they're coming to look for them. And you know, and my, right. you know, my idea is, or my theory really is, there's, I, I want to say there's probably two or three males that are just just some lone horny males that hang around this area and they wait for those girls to start sending off pheromones. And then that's when they come through. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's some uh, influx in food or something that's triggering everything to work and, you know, everything comes together and, and that's how it happens. Um, But um, I've never, I've never, I mean, I've been, I've hiked like, uh, you know, days in the mountains there and I've never, come across like, you know, bones just randomly cruising around. That's the thing. They're always in a specific place for a specific reason. That's probably the best way to describe them. 
they're very intent with what, what they're doing and where they're at, why. Um, they're not just cruising around, that I've come across anyways. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, I mean, I, I, I think the males would probably be uh, probably more cruising, but I don't even know what their behavior is like because I've never observed a male, uh, a male before, just the females. I mean, it's right. always hard for me to go not go look yeah. for the nest with the eggs because it's so awesome to see, to go look for, to try to go find a male, but I need to. <laughs> there and it's like, all right, I got to stray away from the nest. It's time to go find a, find a male. You know. Do you always you go at the same time of year? Times. Damn it, Eric, we have to ask oh. the same question. <laughs> <laughs> You're going different times during the year, right? Yeah, I've been there uh, pretty right. much every month of the year. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Where are hmm. the boys? <laughs> Yeah, they're there. I know they're there. They're doing it. They're doing something. Yeah, but I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure my my idea is there's probably a couple of males that are hanging out in a certain area, or a certain range of working so many females, and you know when it's that time of the year, there's that stimuli that causes them to start coming in and look for those females because those females aren't going to give up those nests. They're perfect areas for them to to lay in. Um, and uh, you know if if they do and they they find a new nest, it's going to be something very very similar to that uh, prior year's nest or those ranges. Are there any other snakes up in that uh, area where they're found? There are. Okay. So I've heard there are scrub pythons in in elevation that high, but not in that area. I have never found one and I've never seen one before. Um, I've never found a chondro up there. The chondros I found were like in Jayapura and Cyclops Mountains, and that's um, still lower in elevation, but not much. Uh, but I've never found anything that was large necessarily, like a like a Bolin's python that uh, you know, aside the Bolin's python. Yeah, I was just hmm. thinking of like the whole niche partitioning thing, like yeah. you know. We were just talking about that last week when we were talking about scrubs that I don't think that you would find a big scrub in the same area that you would find a big Bowens. It just oh, yeah. doesn't make yeah, sense to have two. Yeah, because like I said, we, we don't even know what the, the frequency of feeding is or how often they're, you know, or, or how often there's prey around, let alone you're going to have two competing um, animals. A couple, I mean, it was really interesting, like some of these nests I found, two or three of these nests were like 20 feet apart from each other. Um, really? Was, uh, yeah, but and I was tracking on my my GPS like because I was like, oh my god, I feel like I've been walking for days, you know. And I walked. I mean, some of this like it took me it took me four and a half to five hours to walk two miles. That gives you an idea of how uh, difficult the terrain is and how how it is navigating there. So it felt like it was you know miles and miles and miles. But in hmm. fact, it wasn't. It's just, it's just so difficult to navigate in there. And so I found we found one spot that was uh, up maybe about a hundred feet, and then down below that on a slope was another spot, and there was a snake hanging right out there. Like I was checking on a, a one snake, and my guide started yelling out that there was another snake, and I'm like, I haven't even finished looking at the first one. So it was yeah. right <laughs> next to it, and that was crazy. That was when we found the skeleton and everything too. It was just, what? So. Wow. I mean, it's just it's wild. Yeah, it was wild. How does that altitude work on you? I mean, is that yeah. difficult? I, I, not too bad. Um, I get no. dehydrated really quick when I'm hiking up there. I mean, it's cool um, and it's uh-huh. damp. But, uh, I mean, 
you're it's you're on a you're you're essentially on a stair climber for like four hours and it's terrible <laughs> um so that gives you an idea what it's like and it's a, a okay. slippery stair climber that's what that's what hiking there is like wow and, and the, you've got to keep ter- pace with somebody yeah you got to keep pace with somebody up there that can do cartwheels going up the stair climber that's how it is so, uh, <laughs> so. yeah oh uh. Yeah, I could use a few yeah. hours on the stair climber, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the yeah. Eric and I, I always try. To, <laughs> yeah, I always try to train before, like, I mean, and I'm not a skinny, skinny guy, but I mean, it's like, and I always try to train, like, you know, before I go, like, you know, several months before, just to get my endurance back up. And and, and I did this trip two months before I went, and, and I was fine. I mean, I felt it for sure, but you know, I was able to hang with. Uh, with my guide, which was great. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's like climbing up a, a slippery stair, stair climber, like for four hours. And you <laughs> say that t- the, the terrain is just difficult. Is it just because it's steep or is it just because it's so, uh, overgrown? It's, well, it's, well, both it, it's, it's a, a steady incline and it's, uh, wow. and sometimes it's a little, it's a little steep, but it's typically a steady incline in the, the, wa- the rainwater washes off a lot of the limestone and the granite and everything, so it's slick rock. I mean, it's got water on it, so there's moss and all sorts of junk on it. And then there's areas when you get in, really into the forest, that it's really just overgrown. So it's difficult to really judge where you're putting your feet and where your footing is. So um, it's not that it's just a ridiculously hard, like, climb up. It's just a a difficult steady climb that's the best way to do it and um gotcha. I mean, there's mud and all sorts of junk so like you know yeah Jeez. that just makes it more fun right <laughs> yeah i know right and then when you see it you're just like what <laughs> oh that's uh that's pretty exciting i i have this picture in my head of like Ari climbing up the side of the mountain and peeking his head over <laughs> top of it and just being like these mounds of like just like this flat top with these mounds of nests all around them. And like, it's like, (laughs) Oh, kind of like that. I mean, um, it's much easier in my thoughts than probably in real life. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's awesome. I I love it. It's, uh, I I don't have, I mean, everyone's like, Oh, you want to go somewhere else? And I was like, no, I was like, just, you know, every year it's like, I'm there twice a year and it's not just to, to do the, the research that I've, that I've just loved doing to see these animals. It's, it's um, it, what it does. It, it just, I love the place. It's just such an incredible mm-hmm. place. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get invited, my, you know, Quetzal wants me to come visit him in Costa Rica. I mean, Frederick wants me to come visit him. It's like, Oh man. Okay, cool. And then I'm like, Oh, well, I gotta go back. I'll be back. In the <laughs> city, you know, so maybe next year, go, maybe next year or something yeah. like that. Or somebody's like, Oh, Hey, you want to go to Australia? I'm like, ah, no, I'm okay. You know, but I'll be back. In the city. So it's like, you know, but I just love, I just love everything about it. And, uh, I mean, the snakes make up, you know, they make up a huge part of, of what New Guinea's about, in my opinion. I mean, it's just an incredible place. And, and the snakes are just an, an additional, you know, awesome factor, uh, of, of, of why I go. Right. Very um, cool. I do have, uh, I'm curious of this and I don't know if I'm opening up a can of worms or not. So if I am, you can, you can say, I don't want to answer that question. Why no locality data on Bolands? I mean, I see localities on chondros. You see localities on scrubs. Okay. Well, um, so, um, there are, 
Okay, so how do I describe this? Okay, so with lo- let's go with condros. So with condros, like you've got uh-huh. locality. I like to call it locality type. Type, yeah. So yeah, right, right. yeah. Because um, Wamina is a town, and mm-hmm. the town <laughs> now has a little mall in it. Chondro pythons <laughs> do not live behind the mall in Wamina. Uh, <laughs> um, no. However, Wamina is an airport where a lot of the chondros fly out of. And they look at it as generalized, like, okay, it's a general region. Um, okay. The Bolins typically are coming out of, I think it was one, two, three, four, four to five areas, r- ranges. Now, okay. all of that range in the Baleen Valley, which it goes through – Wamina, you know, Membramo is the area where I'm at, and that's this huge mountain range. And, I mean, the mountain's going forever. It's this huge, that spine that goes all the way from the west to the east and, you know, all that in Jaiwi Jaya range and all that stuff. But so the ranges uh, where they – they're kind of like little provinces out there. Um, and a lot of the nests are in these different provinces. So um, I don't know. They've just never – I mean, I know – you know, and it's not to like, like, you know, toot toot. I know where they're all coming from. It's, I know where they're all coming from and I know which clutch is coming from this place. This clutch is coming from that place. I don't think they're different. Um, uh, they, are, they all look like a Bolin's python to me. They all behave like a sure. Bolin's python to me. They don't, they all don't like to breed like the typical Bolin's python, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hopefully, you know, but, but that's starting to, you know, come around, but I don't really think it's taken off like it has with, uh, uh, chondropythons or amethystines where there's a visual difference that would signify, hey, where'd this thing come from? You know, it's like, oh, this right. is, you know, uh, uh, Bocandini or this is, uh, you know, uh, Arfac or something like that. It, it doesn't have that effect to it as it does with so many other species. And, and I think that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think there's any difference because it, the areas are pretty, pretty close in proximity to one another. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like, it's like, you know, going to, um, you know, Fort Worth to Dallas or, you know, you know, yada, yada. So it's like, uh, it hasn't just taken off in, in a way like that with, with Bolin's python as Bolin's pythons as it was, is with other species. Gotcha. Okay. I was waiting for more worms than that. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like, Sometimes I wonder if, like, you know, I don't know if it was – if they're taken from a spot that, you know, is – you don't want people knowing where the spot is or, you know. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of those uh, – I mean, to, but to be honest with you, knowing where the spot is doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to go there and, and go see that spot. I mean, that's the thing. Right. right. Most of these areas are, are red zones, and you're not allowed to be in unless you're a local and you do have permission it still can be kind of dicey in some of these places if you're not supposed to be there so for the average joe schmo that wants to go see them in the wild it's not advised because you know one of two things are going to happen you're going to hire somebody that's going to take you out there that that has no idea what what they're looking for but they're going to convince you they do they're going to take you for Mm -hmm. all the money you've got walk you around in the jungle for two hours and then send you home with no money and no snake to see or you're going to wander around out there and the police are going to come and find out what you're doing. And then they're going to arrest you. So it's, it's not as easy, it's not as easy to go out, you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not as easy to go out to find them, let alone to be looking for some of these areas where the animals are coming from. That's, that's the other thing too. Gotcha. Okay. Well, 
but that but that is that kind of like a little bit makes a little bit more sense as opposed to like some of the other explanations we get with the oh yeah probably just no one's done the research. It's like well we kind of taken looked at them and doesn't really seem to be that much of a change between the localities. I mean I, I take yeah. that answer better than like a lot of the monitor ones where it's like oh we know we just. No one's ever done the work. Oh, okay. That's nice. Well, yeah, I mean, we know, we know with, uh, I mean, to be realistic, I mean, the bowling pythons, you know, it was 1952. I mean, that's when the first uh, holotype specimen was collected. So, I mean, they're relatively a, a new, no. they're relatively yeah. a new species. Um, the, the work hasn't been done. Uh, do I think they're different, you know, from, you know, this spot, from that spot to this spot? I don't know if they're that different. Uh, I think they're mm-hmm. the same snake. Uh, now, when they cross over to P and G and they go onto that, you know, actual Papua New Guinea side, there's a yeah. probably a better chance they, you know, a greater chance that they might be different. However, you know, it, it's still a gray area, and I don't know if we'll ever, you know, know. I mean, I'm sure we might get to a certain point, but um, it's, everything on West Papua is West Papua, you know, and and even stuff that's far, far west, Birdhead. Uh, the Birdheads region, uh, like in Rotali or Nabiri, um, Whistle Lake stuff where the first bones were collected, you know, I've heard they look different, but, you know, that could just be environment. I mean, things adapt differently. Um, right. But, you know, nobody's, nobody's, you know, nobody's really doing anything like that um, with these animals. And um, I'm I'm hoping to do that or have the opportunity to keep doing it. So, you know, maybe one of these days we'll find out that they're a little different. But, uh, I mean, they're still incredible. You know, I, I can't imagine. I would love to see a PNG Bolins in person. I'd like to be able to see one and look at it and say, wow, this animal came from Papua New Guinea. It's not a West Papuan snake. And I want to see if it looks different and just kind of stare at it for a while. <laughs> <You> know, yeah. <laughs> right. I know they're there. And and my gut tell you know, my gut, and I'm, I'm hoping that they're different looking. It would just be awesome but just to – to be able to to say, wow, they are different over here. You know, they, they're different looking, or they're different than or something. Cool. But but who knows? Yeah. So we do have another question from Casey. Um, okay, cool. He would like to know uh, what plant life is up there: short trees, tall trees. Um, he says he's seen videos that looks a lot like uh, tall grass and some bamboo. Yeah. Okay. So that's a that's a really good question, and. Um, Okay, so the environment uh, is different. It breaks up into like uh, two different ranges um, or two different kind of biomes, I call it. So like when you first get out there, it's low, like a low shrub, and it's about about chest height. And it it reminds me of a creosote, like it reminds me of a creosote bush almost. It's very bushy. The ground is very granite covered. There's a lot of limestone on the ground. Um, there's lots of different kinds of lichen. Uh, it's very, very damp. And that could just be from the rainwater eroding everything down. And these are the only types of plants that are surviving. Once you start getting into the thick of it, everything becomes heavy, heavy fern, heavy, heavy um, uh, foliage. Uh, try to identify I'm, – I'm not a plant person, and I've tried to identify this type of fern – that I always find around Bolin's pythons areas. And it, it, it's an interesting, I'll, I'll send you guys a picture of it. You can throw it up if you know anybody, or if anybody, if anybody is a plant person that can identify New Guinea uh, flora, send me a message (laughs) and I will send you pictures of these 
these ferns because it's driving me crazy, and I'd love to know what it is. Um, but um, so it's it's very heavy vegetation, and in the canopy, there's it, it's not it's not bamboo. Did he say bamboo or? Yeah, you um, said bamboo. It's not a bamboo. It's um, it, it it's almost like um, it, it reminds me of almost like palm fronds, but they're real thin palm fronds. Um, okay. In some of these areas, the, the vegetation is 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 um, immense. I mean, there's probably thousands of plant species that are there, um, and just some of the stuff. I mean, like I said, I mean, a, a botanist would probably be better to ask that question too. But you know, <laughs> some of the areas I've seen are there's this fern that's just like everywhere where where the Boland's habitat is, and it's um it's just very predominant there. But yeah, it's a it's a very interesting place. Um, the plant life is is one of the very interesting things. That, I'm not a botanist either, so you know I wouldn't be able to tell uh, one fern from a cactus. So you know that's uh, just <laughs> I'd how heard, that I'd goes. I'd be able to tell a fern from a cactus. <laughs> I, we don't know anymore. It's been a while. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, I do have a question as far as uh, the intelligence of these animals. I don't know if you've okay. had any experience with retics and stuff like that, where some of these animals that are you know on the King Cobra's higher intelligence. Yeah. Where do bones fit in with that? Um, all right, so in my in my personal opinion, in talking to other bones keepers, I think they are incredibly intelligent for what they are. Um, they're a different snake. And what I mean by that is their behavior is very different. Um, they're um, very in tune on what's going on. Uh, they're extremely observant. Um, they are very focused in their movement and their intention, if that makes sense. Um, it's just a different, it's a different animal. They're not like, they're not like any other Python I've ever worked with. Okay. Um, they're just very, very, they're very, very unique. And that's just another quality that makes them so unusual and special. Um, and like I said, a lot of people that work with Bolins in captivity comment on how different they are is, um, uh, is just a, a normal, normal observation daily with their, their animals. Cool. All right. Yeah, I uh I've only had the experience of seeing one one time and uh Okay. It was pretty amazing. Um but it was very brief, so I didn't really get that mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it was it was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> it it was done. Whole, whole <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. But uh but no, I was just curious about that. Um, so yeah. let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your book. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> now we interrogate. <laughs> yeah, no. All right, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Okay, yeah. what do you want to do? It. Where is uh, it? When can we read it? Where, yeah, there you go. Where is it? Okay. It is sitting on my in my friend's hard drive right now. And okay. The, the the book is done. Um, oh. We are. <laughs> Working on the photo layout, and it is becoming extremely difficult being able to choose what photos to put in the book. And I'll be 100% honest with you guys, because I have so many incredible photographs. I want to put them all in there. So I'm trying trying to choose the best thing. So we're working on the photo layout right now. I would, I'm really, really hoping, hoping to have this done uh, by uh, early end of the year um, and out. Um, and um, 
I mean, I've got, it, it's going to be really worth it. I, I think you guys are going to be really pleased. It's a very different book from the first one. Um, it includes lots and lots of new data. However, um, there is, there are stories that are encompassing around the data. So you have to read it to get the information. And okay. ah. uh, I didn't want it to, I didn't want it to be just a checklist. Um, and these are stories that are from my trips and other people that have been there. Uh, Carl Switek, um is in it. Um, uh, who else? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, my brain just flew off there. Uh, Dick Ross is in Tom. it. Uh, uh, Tom. Uh, Tom is in it. Uh, okay. My uh, my good friend Danny that I travel there is in it. Um, there's a couple other people that are in it too. I mean, it's there's gonna be some great there's some great stories in it. Like just some of these absolutely bizarre situations and just getting back to the adventure of what herpetoculture and herpetology has always meant to me. Like just getting back there to you know living the excitement and the adventure and the danger and everything. And it's all there, but you. And you have to read the story, like I said, to get the information, and that's the important thing. And uh, that's, but the stories aren't boring. I mean, they're 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 awesome and they're they're real and they're they, they've every one of them has happened. And then, in the midst of that, is some incredible, never before seen photographs of animals on eggs and eggs hatching in the wild, and uh, you know snakes out in the you know. Ba- I mean, there's more photographs of wild bolands pythons than you will ever see in this book. Um, there are New Guinea tribes, there's ceremonies going on, there's um, just crazy, crazy things in it. It's, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be very, very proud of it when it's done. Cool. Very cool. Are you yeah. still uh, including a DVD of sorts? or? Yeah, that is the plan. I'm really wanting to – that's one of the things, too. I'm, I'm really wanting to include that in the book. Um, I mean, but, I mean, I'll, I'll put this – I'll publish this book – uh, before the DVD, if I have to, just to get it out, because I want, I want it to come out. I want everybody to read it. I mean, it's, um, and it's becoming a pain in the ass to keep writing. Stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, I love, I love writing and I love telling the stories, but I, I hate, you know, putting a book together because it's just, oh, such a pain. I mean, it's, um, it's awesome to come up with the idea and then it's awesome when it's done. But in the middle, it's yeah. like, but I mean, it's like <laughs> no, I'm reliving crap. all these. Yeah, I'm, I'm reliving these incredible stories and these moments that I've had, and just, and it, it's it's awesome because it's all these like old flashbacks of just, you know, laying in this hut with Tom, and you know, we're sharing like a little towel as a blanket, and we're shivering. He's got, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, we're sleeping next to a pile of pigs, and it's like, you know, it's, you know, these are these stories that you know that that. Uh, taking place to get us to where we're at so we can share all this stuff and I can share all this information with everybody. And it's going to, it'll be really great. It's going to be, um, uh, it's going to be a really awesome book. It's going to be, uh, it's called, um, serpents in the clouds, uh, the search for the new Guinea black python. Nice. Cool. So <laughs> it's going to be, uh, and it's going to be a big, it's going to be a bigger book too. It's not going to be the standard, you know, typical, uh, like the chimera book that i put out in 2009 it's going to be larger because i'm going to have a lot of like like i said i'm gonna have a lot of photographs in there and a lot of these i want like full page photos because they're just i mean they need to be in the largest light as possible to be able to just um blow people away i sent a couple pictures to keith the other day and he just freaked out when i showed it to him i mean some of this stuff is (laughs) is awesome that's cool yeah 
He's probably uh, – <laughs> go ahead, Owen. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, no. Keaton is probably just hoarding all those pictures. I mean, like, he's no, I mean, he's probably size. He's probably know, as right? excited yeah. about he, that book as we are about when we when the Carpet Python book was coming out when we were just oh, getting yeah. into it, you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like – and it's like I go through all these photos. I've got, like – I've got like two terabytes of just images I've taken from 11 wow. trips. And it's like, I mean, I have tons Damn. and tons of photos of just every scenario you, you possibly could envision regarding Bones pythons in the wild. And it's like, I mean, it's taken forever to, to put this together. So I'm trying to go through these photos and finding out. And it's just like, I wish I could just put them all in there, but it would just be crazy. I mean, so it's like, I'm having to sort through these, the best of the best. And uh, yeah, I think everybody I will be very, very cool. pleased with it. It's going to be really, really cool. We're going to have some – this can be some really cool stuff, and the people are going to like it. Awesome. Cool. So, yeah. you know, not not this coming October, Tinley, but the next one you should have a stack of books on your table. Oh, man, I would, along I would love to have it for – I would love to have it for October, Tinley. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm just, Get it signed I, I, right I, at the ball well, I, round yeah. table. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my God! You can get the, all the Bullens guys to sign. Oh dear God! Oh yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I've got the Insanity. I even have a rare photo of uh, of me and Frederick getting drunk in some pub in Sweden. When, uh, yes, they're also, I mean, I've got all sorts of incredible photos. I've got you know, <laughs> photos of, of of the first babies that he produced hatching. I mean, I've got photos. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, there's j- just you know. And it, it's great because it talks about, like I said, all these anecdotal stories that lead up to where we're at now. And then at the end, it talks about, you know, the conservation efforts with these animals and, and what we can do and where we're at and, you know, and what we can expect. And, um, and uh, I, I'm just – I'll be very, very proud of it when it's, fin- when it's, when it's done in hand, you know, and uh, you'll either absolutely love it or you'll hate it, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'll love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and if you don't like the writing, you'll at least like the photos. So that's what it'll be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it'll just be a really yeah. big picture book. Yeah, yeah exactly. On. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you the soapbox for a second, and I'll set you up. Oh, and I'm no. just curious on your thoughts. <laughs> but I've seen this come up a couple a couple times. But it seems Uh-oh. like uh, no, no, no. It's not. It's not bad. I mean, we've talked about this many times. But oh, okay, cool. It just seems like I don't know if it's it's uh, a trend that's starting to happen yeah. or it just seems like herpticulture is maybe, although you still sort of have this morph stuff that's going on, it seems like yeah. we're sort of like pushing towards going back to uh, the roots, if you will. Um, I've always been, I've always been fascinated with trying to figure out what makes an animal tick. And I like being yes. around people that think the same way rather than just like, okay, I'm just breeding. And I think that, and I think that's why, I mean, we communicate so well because there's, it, you know, that's what it, that's what it should be about. And unfortunately mm-hmm. it's either, you know, that one side of the room or the other side of the room. And, and I think a lot of the young herpers and, and, and people that are just interested in the industry now, I mean, it's a scary time where we're in just to begin with, with what's going on. Um, right. But it's, it's, you know, it, it's almost like you skip that whole introductory stage and you jump right into the animal. Right. And, yeah. And then once you have the animal, then, then it's like, 
all right, I need to make money from the animal. And instead of enjoying the animal for what it is, what it's about, and what it does, I mean, it's, it, that's, that's the exciting part of it. I mean, it's great if you can produce offspring and sell them. I mean, everybody wants to make money off stuff. But, but it, it, yeah. it, we, it's almost like I said, it's like we forget, like they're forgetting that, that introductory stage or step that, that we all did as kids where we were carrying around that field, that Peterson's field guide or that, you know, Boas and Python's yeah. book as a kid in the pages uh-huh. were literally pulled, pulled out of the spine because we flipped through <laughs> that book so many flipping times, you know, right? That's dead and, on. Yeah, and, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, it was – and that was the way it was. And then – but now it's, you know, I've got, you know, whatever, and, and I'm going to get this, and, and I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to keep it in a drawer, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just – you know, try to breed it and not appreciate for what it is. I mean, it's uh, and and that's a shame, but that's just how it is. And 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 that's kind of like what I'm trying to get with this new book is to like you know get away from that. I want to build up that excitement and the adventure and just like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Oh my God, I can't believe this because I mean, I remember reading Carl Switek's book, Adventures in Green Tree Pythons Country. I mean, incredible stories and you know Dick Ross and Marzex, you know, what was in Python reproduction stuff. I mean, they're talking about things that were like ahead of their time. I mean, they were in the field observing these animals and, you know, and there's so many other hundreds of books too, that did the same layout of, of what the excitement and interest was. Um, but, and, and hopefully, hopefully that will pick back up. And um, I don't know where, I, I don't know if it will, but I just hope it does. I mean, if not, we'll all just, you know, laugh about it at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. 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 I remember being at Tinley walking around with Zach and when we were walking around, it was like everybody yeah. was focused on like all these different tables while me and him yeah. were standing at the table with all the books. And we're like, yeah, I don't understand why there isn't more people at this table because. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd rather spend I'd rather spend five hundred dollars on something I don't have to feed and I can pull it out <laughs> without it biting. I can pull it out without right. it biting me and opening it up. You know, and it's just the, the information is just, I mean, there are some incredible, incredible literature out there and incredible books. And I mean, I have to literally fight myself from buying everything over at the eco table and all that stuff yeah. because, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like the books are incredible. And then, you know, and then, I mean, obviously looking around and seeing all the animals and it's like, you know, going through and, and I love going to a lot of the like the wholesalers and stuff, because they always have really obscure things that come through that most people are overlooking. You know, it's like, I mean, can you tell me the last time somebody was breeding basilisk lizards? I mean, when you saw a baby basilisk lizard, I mean, how cool of a lizard is that? You know, nobody pays yeah. attention to that stuff these days. Or or how awesome are Cuban night anoles? I mean, an anole that would, like, draw blood when it grabs on your finger. You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. They look like dinosaurs. But they're going to be overlooked, and they're going to look for something else. And and that's just, you know, right. it's not just about how the interests are. It's just, I think, that's how the hobby has turned, where it's it's overlooking what, you know, what's there and and looking at something else for a, a different purpose. And, and it's a shame, but hopefully that'll change. I mean, I'll get off my soapbox about that, and, you know, there you <laughs> go. Bones, py- bones, pythons, bones, pythons, bones, pythons. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, ahead. yeah. It's not I, like you said at the beginning. I don't think it's a species that you really should yes. just go out and buy. It should be something yeah. that you're ready to 
to take on. But uh, yeah, I think it's a commitment. Yeah, it really is a commitment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not just a financial commitment, um, which I'm happy that they've maintained this kind of a price because it deters a lot of, you know, Joe Schmoes from just picking one up because it's cool. But it's a commitment because it's something very different and something very unique. And like when you're saying that there's an individual taking one to schools, you know, you know, I personally wouldn't do that. But like I said, I really hope that the information that's provided justifies how unique and how incredible that animal is so that, you know, are aware of that when they leave, not just seeing this big black, you know, and yellow snake and how cool it is, you know, that they leave knowing that this animal inhabits an environment that very few other snakes inhabit. And even being in 2017, there's only been very few people that have been able to reproduce the snake. And that in itself is very interesting. Um, So I only hope that that's portrayed through the, um, the showing of that animal and and letting people experience it. Yeah, I would too. So I have, this is off topic of Bolins, but since you've been to, uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I'm curious. (laughs) So when you're traveling in these spots and you're away from say, uh, you know, the city lights and all that kind of stuff, what does the, what does the sky look like? Oh man, that's such a good question. (laughs) You, you know, most people forget what it looks like, you know? Um, yeah, it's, that were the clearest you'll ever see the constellations and the stars. And I mean, it's, I remember on the one time when I had explosive diarrhea and I was spraying the interior of the village and I was staring right. up in the sky. <laughs> I remember that story. <laughs> yeah, I remember the story. And I was staring I up in the sky. I was story. just, I, uh, yeah, I, I was just blown away. It was like, you know, it was just, uh, it's incredible. I mean, there's, there's nothing there. And, and you, when you look at something like that, then you realize like how minute you really are and where yeah. you're at. I mean, I'm like, thinking to myself, I'm like, I am in the Mimbramo basin in West Papua New Guinea in the middle of nowhere. And I'm shitting everywhere. <laughs> you know, you know, right. It's like, I mean, it's incredible. I said, it, 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 it's beautiful. Cause I mean, it's, you can go that in like places out in, you know, up in the mountains and stuff like that. But yeah, the sky, I mean, I remember that. It's funny you'd say that because that's one of the, one of the things I always remember is I always look up in the sky at night because it's just incredible looking. And then the, the sounds like, uh, it's just like, just a, just a really, really calming, calming, relaxing sound out there of just being away from everything. Are you able to get into like a deep relaxing sleep or you're on edge because you're afraid yeah. of, you know, what Bigfoot oh, yeah. might come it's, knocking down your territory. <laughs> oh, I win. <laughs> No, it's very relaxing because, um, I mean, the times I, I've slept in the village, like, they have, like, you know, these, these thatch-made uh, huts, and there's, like, this small fire fire pit in the middle, and, you know, so you hear the, the crackling of the wood, and you smell, like, this kind of barbecue-ish kind of wood smell. It's an interesting smell, and then there's hay that's laid down on the floor that you lay on and then everybody's just talking. So like I fall asleep and I just kind of hear all these noises. And then I just hear, you know, these tribal people just having a conversation and talking and talking. If anything, it gets irritating because I'm like, just shut up. Everybody needs to go to bed. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> two in the morning and you guys are talking about the same thing, you know? Right. So, um, but yeah, it's very, very soothing to kind of hear the, 
conversation and sometimes they're singing, you know, doing like a look. It, it's just a cool, a cool. I talk about uh, some of that in the book too, is like one of the stories where I just fall asleep with they're singing or whatever. And it's a, uh, it's just very surreal and very relaxing. And it's, um, it's always sad when I leave. Um, and you know, cause I'm always ready to go back home to get back to life and my daughter and just reality and, and then when I uh, and then I'm always sad that I'm gone and then I can't wait to get back just to, for those little things. It's not just about the snake; it's just about the people and the environment. And those little things, the smells and the sounds and all that stuff, are all they all stick with you. Right. Yeah, and I I hear people talk about all the time like, and this is just like if they go say like on a hunting trip or something like that where yeah <clears throat> they'll the the air feels different because there's not all oh, yeah. the like the cell phones and the, and all, you know, all yeah, that uh, kind of like, it's just very, uh, I mean, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's clean. I mean, that's a weird, right. that's a weird word to describe anything. Now. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's very, it's very clean. Um, and it's, uh, it's refreshing and it's, uh, I mean, everything, like all your senses are just heightened because you're away from everything. So your body's already kind of alert as it is, but I mean, you smell these different smells and these different sounds and everything. And that's just one of the calming, relaxing, um, uh, things about it there. And, and I really enjoy, um, uh, hearing like their, the conversations and stuff. I mean, I don't speak the, the tribal stuff, and, uh, but I, I just enjoy hearing the chatter. I think it's just kind of soothing. Right. Yeah, I, I think that would give you a perspective that you, I mean, I think sometimes when you're in a city or, you know, I can just say for yeah. here in the States or whatever, you look up at the sky, you don't notice that we're on a big rock just flinging through the galaxy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're just like I mean, moving through it's the like, galaxy. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like this whole, not even a speck, you're just like kind of floating yeah. around. I know. I can't even, yeah. I can't even deal with comprehending those like uh, – TV shows with space and galaxies and stuff. My mind's like blown away. Just listening. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah. try to comprehend infinite darkness and wormholes. I'm like, no way. No, you know, I'm like, can't I, do I it. Just, it's done. I can't wrap my uh, mind around it. It's just, it's not there, you know, but um, right. it's I'm definitely with New Guinea. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. So. Cool. Oh, and what else you got? I, 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 I want to go to New Guinea again. Every time we talk to Ari, Again, like, you've been there before? <laughs> uh, numerous times. Live vicariously. I, yeah. this, I, I live vicariously through Ari, but, you know, it's uh, um, it would be such a cool trip. And I, and it, it's like yeah. uh, reminiscence of the stories. It's like uh, Ari comes and tells us about the one where we're shitting everywhere. It's like, I'm like oh, that's yeah, my dude. second favorite Ari story. My other one is when oh, he yeah. nearly gets killed by a cassowary trying to find a bathroom. So it's like oh, yeah. even better. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> right. He almost bit my dick off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That trip would have ended badly. <laughs> that was a that was quite the surprise, I'll tell you that. I did not expect that at all. <laughs> uh, so so awesome. it's always cool to talk with Ari and it's and I mean uh hopefully uh we'll see Ari soon at um yes. the Southern Carpet Fest. So Yeah, yeah. You guys are coming back down uh to Bill's place? Yep. 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 Awesome. Yep. I'll be there. Cool. With the margarita when, uh, machine. No, so no, when's no, the no, next... no, 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 no. No margarita. <laughs> margarita. Margarita and cigars yep. don't mix well for Owen. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. No, it did not go well. What's <laughs> the next what's the next big thing for you? Are you headed back anytime soon or 
Yeah, I'll be back in September um, cool. to uh, discuss uh, with the guys my plan for the releasing of the babies for the Head Start stuff. Wow. Um, I started talking. I actually was talking about them the other night, uh, and they were kind of confused. So uh, I'll be back September um, to talk to them about it and what I want to do. And uh, my plan is to uh, start off small. By I'm going to buy six babies from them and and release them out there at the nest with them and and hopefully tag them um, so that way I can find out um, you know if we come across them later or something like that and then you know look into um, doing some more data stuff with it because uh, I think that's a realistic idea approach to um, uh, to that area and then just kind of slowly you know see if I can every year you know buy more and more babies to release so that way I know in fact that this area is being repopulated with offspring instead of being pulled um, and uh, and even just knowing that six went out you know, and maybe two of them survive is, is makes me feel like I did a great job, you know? Um, yeah, sure. like that. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a start uh, to try it. So, and, uh, I was talking to, I mean, I've got so many, um, incredible supporters that have, that have really helped out. And, uh, I was talking to one of them the other day who's, um, going to get in touch with me this week and we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit more about it. Um, and then do some more, uh, aerial photography stuff with the drone stuff out there too. So I can, um, do some more, um, habitat survey, uh, stuff and, uh, put that available for everybody to see and kind of get a better idea of habitat and everything like that too. So that's cool. cool. I, I get, yeah. Were you, uh, were you going to include any of that, uh, drone footage in the, in the book? Like a shot. Yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, okay. possibly. If I, if I can, um, the first, uh, the first time I did it, it worked out awesome. Um, it was uh-huh. just a lot to lug, uh, to lug around. So I've got to come up with another way to do it. And, um, <laughs> but I mean, uh, I mean, aside with that, I mean, just making it public for whoever wants, I've posted up on the group or stuff like that. And, uh, you know, for whoever wants to see it, just trying to get some of these people that are really like at that stepping point of with their animals to kind of see, Oh, okay, this is what this looks like, or this is what he's talking about. And maybe that'll help, you know, uh, create some other kind of variable that they're not considering that this just kind of like at the tip of the tongue, you know what I mean? So, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool stuff. So we, I guess we should mention that group, uh, so that people know if they want to head over and check out what's going on. Um, it's the uh, oh, I brain farted right there. It's a Bolin's Python Somalia Bolini group, and uh, just send a send a friend request. And uh, we've got like almost fifteen hundred members on there, and um, a lot of it is people that um, that you know don't comment, but I can tell they're looking, and, and that's fine. You don't have to you don't have to have a Bolin's Python to be interested in Bolin's Python, Bolin's Pythons. Right. Um, but we 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 post stuff on here. You know, to kind of update as much, I post my updates um, from my trips, my last trip. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, donation stuff on there. You know, donate if you want to help out. Uh, I'll I'll post, like, you know, if I get a great photograph the other day, um, what's it called? Um, I'll post up and I'll make in posters and I'll, you know, sell posters up there at Bones Pythons or I'll have new shirts and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of cool stuff on there. And, and everybody's fantastic. Uh, about sharing information and, um, and and putting what they're doing up on there too. So it's uh, so feel free to send a request and I'll add you on there and 
you know, say hi. And, you know, everybody on here is, uh, it's a really positive environment. Uh, that's one of the things that I really strive for. Yeah. I like cool. the fact that you guys share information openly. I know, uh, yes. You know, especially with the species that there's not a lot of information out there. It just, uh, yeah. Makes it easier for somebody that's interested yeah. in it to check it out, you know. Well, yeah, and, so. and there's no sense in hiding it. It's, that's really because it's not going to do anybody any good not to to share. Because what's the point? You know, you you might not know everything, and somebody might know something that you don't. And by talking to that person, you might figure something out. Or you know, I mean, there's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, it, that's how we we do it. And there's a lot of great photography on there. And, you know, a lot of cool stuff that, that we try to put on there and, and get everybody involved with. So, Yeah. I do have one last question because uh, okay, cool. I just went over and I started looking at the uh, the page. How yeah. how uh, 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 how arboreal are these guys in the wild, if at all? Because I'm looking okay, at so, East picture of the yeah. female so the, they, <laughs> spread above the they will They will certainly climb. I mean – Okay. They, if they're given the opportunity, they will climb. Uh, I've got some photos of uh, a big snake uh, up in a tree basking, um, and um, so they will certainly climb. However, the babies seem to be uh, more arboreal um, than the adults, and and the belief with that, but I can't confirm it is you know that gets them off the ground where you know there'd be um, some sort of predator that'd be able to pick them off. But but um, I've never been able to observe a baby out of the nest before. And I don't know anybody that has, um, I mean, they're like little red worms in the ground is essentially a big, a big, uh, potting soil with ferns coming out of it. So I think the baby right. go down into the, into the ferns where it's safe, it's humid. Um, they've got, uh, access to smaller prey items like skinks, little rodents and any kinds of little amphibians that they would come across. But, but the babies seem to have a tendency in captivity to be a lot more arboreal than the, uh, than the adults, they feel a little bit more comfortable sometimes feeding from that kind of uh, 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 standpoint as well. Um, but it's still kind of like debatable, you know. Obviously, from the wild right? Okay, cool. Anything else you want to share with us before we uh, wrap up or get out there? I think I got it all. I mean. I, mean, I could talk to you guys all night, but you know, like, yeah, we yeah, won't no. have anything. To, we wouldn't have anything to. We wouldn't have anything to talk about at Tinley, so I don't want to say anything. Right, got to right. keep uh, keep right. everybody wanting more, you know. That's right. Uh, That's right. So, from the book but yeah, I mean, thanks you guys. I, I always love coming on here. I mean, it's it's it's. I really enjoy talking about Bones, Five Bones, and New Guinea. And you guys know that, and um, we and, love uh, hearing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of vicariously. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of uh, new interest I've been noticing, and uh, and uh, like I said, it's it's a great avenue to reach out and, and get some more attention with everything. And like I said, uh, I enjoy coming out. So thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Anytime. I'm being, I'm being asked to give out. Uh, I'm being asked to give out shout outs now. So okay, um, <laughs> shout it out. <laughs> shout them out. Who are these so, people? That's all, that's all. That's all I got for tonight. So I'm getting tired too. Uh, <laughs> all right. You know you All are right, if you get a shout out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All right, nice. we'll talk to you guys later. Take it easy. All, All right, man. Thanks, All right. Thank you. Have a All good right. one. Bowens Python. So never, Owen, never Bowens? Never. Never. Uh, never. Never. One day. 
One day never, I'll have Never. Never. Uh-uh. Uh. Uh-uh. See, the problem is that it's like, I, it, it, listen, if I had Evan Wexler money and I could decide to, you know, <laughs> dedicate, like, but I had to. Um, <laughs> his company makes excellent cheeseburgers. Anyway, if I could, like, have a room dedicated to them where it was like set up really nice and they were just kind of stuck in there and uh, I, I I didn't really give two craps if they bred and they were just cool to look at totally but it's like I, I wouldn't feel right having a display cage in my house that would have totally accommodated Bolins I don't that I could give up like half my snake room for them um, and it's, it's no and the price tag is just no that being said, I would gladly spend the same amount of money on rough scale python, so I don't know what the hell it says about me. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah no, right? I think. Uh, so, no. Yeah, one we'll day, it. one day, one day. Uh, but uh, I don't know when that day will be, but it will be one day. So, I'm gonna tell my story real quick. Uh, Go for it. Your rack system. So. There was this rack, this rack that came up on um, uh, the PA classifieds on Facebook, and right. uh, I was I, I saw it. It was a vision rack, and it was like the the V eighteen tubs, and it was uh, forty tubs, I think it was that it held and right. it was on wheels and all. And I'm like, oh man, this is perfect. I should probably go and pick this up. So I contacted the guy and the guy kind of gave me a little bit of a hard time about like, if I didn't pick it up that day that he was, you know, he couldn't guarantee that it would be there. And like, you know, so we're going back and forth on like when I'm going to come and get this. Now it's in, I don't know, man, it's somewhere in Pennsylvania. Uh, okay. Easy. Uh, it was a four hour drive from my work. I think it was three and a half Holy from crap. my house. So I left for my work at two o'clock and I, I went on a mission to go and get this rack and everything was going pretty good because it was just straight up. Like, uh, I went up uh 476 and then you got on 80 and then you had just head out wet. It was just like, it seemed like it was too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this story because of the shit that we go through to get the reptile stuff. It's just like, sometimes I'm questioning myself. So I'm in the car from, from two o'clock and I didn't get home until ten thirty. You know, Holy and I'm just shit. like Yeah. But I'll tell you why. So I get up there and a the guy gives me I you know, I have GPS, whatever, I got my phone and you know, everything's cool. And then all of a sudden I'm in the woods. Like I'm talking the woods. It's woods. Like Yeah. <laughs> there's like hunting signs posted and like oh, you know, I'm oh, like good. bouncing okay. up and down in my truck as I'm going, you know. And I'm driving and now it's a one lane road and like you're looking over the edge and like there's the side of the mountain type of deal, you know, like you're just going to roll down the hill. Um, So I, I get to this, to this, to this spot where it's a bridge and it's uh, under construction. So you can't get over the bridge. Uh, But here's the sucky thing about when you're in the woods and you're using GPS to get where you're going. It, it was recalculating. Yeah, yeah. Because it can't get a signal. 
And I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. So luckily it was like, uh, at this time it was probably close to five something, I guess, maybe five thirty, yeah. almost six, but it was still light out a light enough to where I could see where everything was going. I don't know how I managed to, you know, reroute myself. I just kept like, okay, well, I can't go this way, but I'm driving down this road. And then I'm thinking, you know, it's like a one lane road on the side of a mountain. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking if I have to back up, how the hell am I going to back up? I can't you back. Yeah, geez. yeah. You know? So I, uh, I, I'm driving, I'm driving. So fa- somehow I managed to turn myself around. There was somebody, somebody had like a, you know, they had like a driveway. I pulled into that and turned myself around and drove back the other way. And I guess I went around the mountain. So all mm-hmm. in all, it was about, uh, I don't know what should have been, you know, when I got there, it was like, you're six minutes away. And then it recalculated. And next thing I know, it was like a half hour later. Finally, Jeez. I make it up to the guy's house. I go, I pick up the rack, uh, put the rack in my truck and I don't know. I was, I was kind of taken back. Like if you're meeting somebody, you know, I, I was funny when I when I pulled into this woods. I called my wife and I was like, "Listen, there's a chance that I might not make it home tonight." If you don't I'm ever like, hear from me again, <laughs> yeah. you know that I'm in the I'm in the Pennsylvania woods somewhere, probably on a on a on a uh, spit spinning around. Yep. Uh, yeah. Look at that marbling, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but yep, done. Uh, all right. So I get the rack, whatever, blah, 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 get in the thing, and I go out. And so I, the guy asked me, he's like, did you have any problem getting here? I was like, yeah, that bridge is out. He's like, Fun. oh, yeah, I, for, I forgot to tell you that. And I'm like, you motherfucker. Oh, well, thank you. Can't believe- <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I think I was just so like I want to get home that I didn't even yeah. take the second to ask him because once I came to his house at the end of his driveway where I was, and I remember him telling me this in a message that he had a signal at the end of his driveway. So, like, if mm-hmm. I wanted to text him or let him know that I was there to do it at the end of his driveway, that way my phone would work. Um, so okay. when I'm pulling out, yeah, when I'm pulling out, the phone is working. So I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking, I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, I'm thinking that it's just going to take me back the way that I just uh, came. No, it's going to take you to the bridge. It took me to the goddamn bridge. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> and then it recalculated. And then the the, the, the messed up thing is that, again, what should have took me uh, maybe 10 minutes to get it back onto the highway took me an hour. An hour. Oh, my God. I was ready to you kill, know, so I just kept, I kept hitting dead ends. You know, you know, when we order from Animal Plastics, they deliver to Tinley, and we can put them in the trailers. I know this, but you're talking you about sure? a $700 sure? rack that are, are was you sure? $200. You sure? Yeah. Because, no, so, so how much gas did you spend? I'm pretty an aggravation? Actually, worth $700. it was only a tank of gas. It was 50 bucks, which wasn't that bad. Right. But finally... I got out onto the highway, you know, but I'm just thinking the whole ride home. I'm like, to, I could have just driven to Hamburg and picked one up if you had gone that day. Yeah, I know, right? I'm just like, oh my God, I will never, ever do this again. Like, I just won't do this again. I, I, you know, and I knew when I saw how far it was, I was going back and forth. I'm like, I don't know. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, well, 
Buddy's house is three hours away, right? That's not that bad yeah, of a ride, yeah, you know? I mean, it can't be that bad. Like, you know, I would go down there and pick up a Condro. Uh, so, you know, why wouldn't I yeah, but, but, go pick up a rat? Buddy makes his chili. Doesn't live in the woods. <laughs> yeah, and he feeds us chili. <laughs> I know. Much better uh, of a reception. Dude, oh, it's horrible. Horrible, 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 horrible. Oh, my God. I was I, so... I, 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 I have to call, buddy. You reminded me. There's a chondro in my house that I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but well, uh, yeah, that was a horrible trip. Well, the thing Pennsylvania you do for reptile shit. So, you know where it was? I was an hour away from uh, mm-hmm. Reptiland. Holy crap! You went all the way up there. Yeah. I was an hour wow. away from Reptiland, yeah. Wow. Like farther up. Because I was driving yeah. down this road, and then it's like, Reptiland on your left. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Done. Oh, dude, it was crazy. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was my exciting trip. Uh, did you fun. Did you happen to see, uh, I'm just curious. If you saw yeah. the post from uh, our good friend Paul Harris, the albino no. tigers that he posted up, you didn't yes, see them? I did see those. Yeah. Oh, crap. Very nice. Yeah, those are very nice. Did you see the uh, uh, the super caramel female that left my collection um, at Hamburg this weekend? Went to Kenny uh, Zook. Did you see yes. her? I was yeah, very impressed with evil. her. She's oh, really? evil. She is a, oh, wow. a horrible creature. And I told him this, and he still bought it. So, good luck, Kenny. We, uh, I, I wish you all the luck and have fun with your bloodlettings. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, copper <But> I, <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course. With proper yeah. handling, and maybe if you put a sock in there, she'll totally chill out. <laughs> yeah, she was really pretty, man. Yeah, really. I know, pretty. right? Always the pretty ones are evil. So, and that was a super um, caramel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that black just started popping up on her. So she's going to be a good looker when she gets big. So almost kept her, but I have a super caramel that's nicer and like not evil. So <laughs> I can see why you would choose that one. I well. know. So. But it's like with the whole albino tiger, we're going to start. This is the time where, you know, we're getting close to in the next couple of months. This is when the new carpet morph thing combo. This is when that stuff starts hatching, and it's like I can't kind of can't wait to see what we get. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. The closer and closer. I mean, the each season that passed, you know, the, those projects that have been in the works for years sort of come to fruition and uh you know i don't know it's a cool mm-hmm. thing so i think yeah. i think though i think though that like i don't know if it will ever get the i don't know maybe some people will do it but it seems like people are kind of like shying away from like let me try to slam as many genes into the snake as i possibly can you mean we're we're not going to get the 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 quadruple gene carpet pythons? 
Aww. Well, we you might see that, but what I'm saying is you're not going to have somebody have a snow or a moon glow, tiger, granite, uh, zebra. You know what I mean? Like, what's what would be the point of all that? But who knows? Maybe somebody well, will make it. Would, well, hey, look at it, I, I look at it this way. If the moon glow is super caramel, zebra, granite, exanic, comes out looking insane patterned or insane colored, yes, there will be more made. If it comes out looking brown, no, no, we won't make yeah. any more. So, I mean, that's, yeah. just like, that's, that's just how it works. It's like how people always talk to me about uh, roughy hybrids, and it's like, will the scales be keeled? We don't know. If they are, I guarantee you they'll be crossed to everything. If they're not, I don't think anybody's going to give a damn. So, yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand why you would do that anyway, but whatever. I mean, that's just that's not a good right there. So. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. and they're probably used like a ugly coastal too to breed it with we, uh we talked about that there was that one there was that one that was like it was a jungle coastal crossed with a uh a rough scale and the rough scale was the mom and i'm like you took a breedable female right i like my brain couldn't i think i had a stroke but you know that was, <laughs> i couldn't fathom what i was looking at so uh, hey, that's great you know that kind of stuff's gonna happen yeah there's nothing you can do about it you know you just no gotta... You have to just uh, do what you do, you know, and that's it. You just keep mm-hmm. going, do what you do. But uh, all right, uh, you got anything else you want to hit on? Nah, I'm good. Let's uh, close down this popsicle stand. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure who's coming on next week. I still have a couple Hooray! things up in the air, but uh, maybe it'll be me and Owen, just me and Owen, or who knows. But uh, I know we got Frank Good coming up sometime in March that we're going to be talking about sure. bloods and short tails. So that would be a uh, fellow Pennsylvanian uh, talking to us. So that would be cool. But uh, you yeah. can check us. <clears throat> you can follow us on our Facebook page, Morelia Python Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Morelia Python. Uh, check out our website at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. If you have any questions, comments, or guest suggestions, send us an email at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, let's see, what else do we got? Carpet Fest, uh, the event. Uh, here are some dates, Southern Carpet Fest, 428, which, by the way, Owen, me and Chris are starting to get our tickets together, so I, I'm sure I, I think was- you're going, right? I was, and I was speaking to Matt this weekend, and he says he and his wife want to go. So if we're all going to okay. start getting tickets together, we best all start talking. So. Right. So we got to keep mm-hmm. that. Uh, that's going to be right around the corner. So uh, yeah. for more information, contact Bill Stiegel or Evan Browder. Um, it's down in Arlington, Texas. Uh, it's awesome time. Awesome, awesome time. Great group of people. Um, Bill's an awesome host. Uh what more can you say? Margaritas, cigars, uh, who knows what it'll be this year. Last year was, uh, what did we have last year? Um, so it was top, a barbecue. No, barbecue, yeah. Matt Mars yeah. and uh, yeah. they came and cooked it up. It's delicious. Awesome stuff. Uh, Southwest Carpet Fest, 6th, June 10th. Uh, for more info on that, you can contact Travis Johnson 
Uh, they're doing an auction, and they're going to have a T-shirt uh, coming out soon. So uh, be on Very the lookout cool. for that. And then our big shindig is June 3rd, uh, Northeast Carpet Fest. Um, the original chapter, as I like to call it. Uh, up God here on the right. East Coast, uh, <laughs> it'll be uh, will be a good time for sure. Um, I'm, I almost have a list of hotels and stuff that are around me, but, man, there's tons of them. Um, I know. So if you're traveling in from uh, out of state, and actually I'm pretty easy to get to from the airport. It takes a little while, but uh, it's it's pretty much a straight run. Straight shot. Uh, so, yeah. Yep. So, uh, so, yeah, if you uh, ever thought about it, these Carpet Fest, uh, we've talked about it before, but I'll just throw it out there again. Uh, basically, it's just like, uh, imagine you go into a reptile show, but the breeder that you want to talk to isn't selling any reptiles, so now you can talk to them one-on-one and get to know them in a more intimate way, uh, and that's the idea. So for the people that you're already friends with, you get new uh, new experiences with, and then for the people that you are not friends with, you get to meet some new people and, uh, you know, it's a great way if you're just getting into, uh, you know, carpets or Morelia or whatever, uh, that you can, um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, get your name out there and, uh, get Introduce people to know yourself. who you are, put a name with the yeah. face, that kind of thing. You know, that's an awesome and way to do you it. Get some really kick-ass stuff at an auction. I mean, we got the vouchers, we're going to have a bunch of other stuff. So if you're just starting your reptile collection, uh, this would be the kind of thing to go to. Um, and it's not yeah. just carbon pythons. Uh, we had uh, Matt Minotola usually gives us some stuff. So we got some blood stuff in there too. So yeah, come out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody's welcome. Um, so that's that for that. Uh, EB Morelia, myself, you can follow me on my Facebook page, Twitter, or Instagram, all at EB Morelia. My website is ebmorelia.com, and my email is eric at EB Morelia for any questions or comments uh, or uh, anything of the sort. So that's all I got. Go ahead, Owen. Cool. Uh, well, guys, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out everything we got going on there. You can also look up Rogue Reptiles on Facebook.com. Give us a like. As far as shows go, I don't think I got anything coming up too soon. I think I'm going to make an appearance at a few other shows, but not any I'm thinking of right now. So definitely go check all that stuff out. If you want to get a list, uh, there's a breeding diary on the website. If you want to get on the list of any of the clutches, now is the time to do it. We're expecting moms to start dropping eggs very soon. So do not wait. Um, That's all I got. And that's all we have for you guys tonight. So what we'll say is we will see you all next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night.